The podcast you're about to listen to is part of a retrospective into the life of Vince McMahon to accurately depict his life but to cover sensitive subjects like abuse and sexual assault. We realise this may be hard for some listeners as may affect you or somebody you know. If you feel uncomfortable about listening to Vincent Mann because of the things that have come out about him over the years, then we completely understand. We worked hard to give you an accurate representation of Vincent Mann's life and go into detail about the many ups and downs, the trials, tribulations and the different things he's been accused of. The last thing we would want to do is to make anyone who listens to our podcast feel uncomfortable. All we wanted to do is entertain and inform. We understand if you wish to not listen to this or any other part of this retrospective. We have many other podcasts that you may wish to listen to instead, and we completely understand if you chose to miss this one out. For those who do want to know and those who want to learn more about Vincent Mann, both in his positive and negative aspects, we hope you'll enjoy the show. You saw the title of this episode. We did. Well, they would have if they clicked on it. Otherwise, they just sat on their phone and it played automatically. Otherwise, when Vince's theme, which I'm going to put at the start of the show, went off, they probably would have shot themselves when they heard that. Like, he's in my house. But yeah. He's in the house tonight. He's, he's in, in the, the house. house. <laughs> That's his theme? Yeah. <laughs> but yes, you heard the disclaimer and his theme song at the start of the show. We are going into a, as we described in Peter's episode, as we teased it. <laughs> A very bold and what we know will be many, a many part, very long retrospective talking about the life of one of the most insane human beings that probably ever lived. Notorious, insane, visionary, mm. headstrong, evil genius, evil madman. genius, we- weirdly buff old man. <laughs> many things you can describe him. No, weirdly buff old man, but a shago. <laughs> And in yeah. some ways, some bad ways, and like like this, and this is not in any way a homosexual thing. But he liked this big man. He liked his big muscly man. He liked the big muscular man. <laughs> yes. And in the mid to late nineties, is rather more athletic man. Yes, with long hair, and they yeah. like to call themselves boy toys. Yeah, and, and in a certain person's opinion, damn nice butt. <laughs> That's my opinion. It was probably Vince's opinion. It's why he pushed him. Yeah, like, oh, oh, Sean, oh, Sean Michael, look at Sean Michaels. Look at him, look at the hair and the butt and the... Oh. Commentary table raises up a few inches. But... Ew. <laughs> oh, sorry, now I've lowered the tone of the show. Yes, you have. Considering what we're going to talk about, I don't think that's possible, but yeah. We're here, we're doing a retrospective on Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Man who this year, a thing that happened that we never thought would happen, he was ousted from his own creation, from his own... Well, not his creation, but the thing he took from one thing created a whole other thing around it. I I believe, thinking about it this past week, I thought is very, very apt, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, his, his dad, Vincent, 
Vince Senior. Vince Senior. I, I know he had middle names too, but Vince Senior had the WWF, mm-hmm. and I believe briefly the WWF. Yeah, I think uh, while he's dad was still around, they made the change to WWF. Yeah, but um, he was a territory man and mm-hmm. did not see the vision that his son saw. Uh-huh. In so much so that he made his son buy the business. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting that he has bought the business from his son, uh, from his dad. <laughs> he bought the business from his dad uh-huh. and took it in a direction his dad would never have took it in. Uh-huh. Now, in a strange kind of way, the same thing has happened to him. Yeah. Because he's had the business took over, not bought from him, but took yeah. over by his son-in-law and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And they're now taking it in a direction that he probably thinks is not right anyway. Yeah. Because, you know, he the way he wanted to take it at this current point was shit. Mm-hmm. And everything that Triple H does right now is fucking gravy, man. It's great. <laughs> and it's weird because, like, it's just the idea of doing this, like, a little while after the, the, the scandal. Like, I think Vince is somebody who I've, wanted, I've discussed with other people about doing a little, a little series about his life because he's... You could do... Multiple, it's a multiple series about this guy if you really want to delve that no, deep into No, he's a it. fascinating individual. But then we never, I just never got around to do it. I thought we could do it. And like, like, I think that this year he's he's no longer in charge of his, his own company, which we everybody thought he'd go until he, you know, the day he died. I think this time, if not now, not this year when he's been forced out, when yeah. else is the best time? And I think currently, when, as we were recording this, the investigation seemed like it, there was a report that said that I had concluded, but Vince is still out, so he doesn't look like he's facing any main legal ramification but they said yeah. some things were being implemented yeah to make sure still like this didn't happen again so i don't know if we've got i don't think we still have a clear picture of you know what exactly is the details you know of, of the fallout from this investigation when they said there were so many different parties and committees being brought in to help with the investigation from outside well, if, if you look at the current product law i mean i i personally i watched raw the other day mm-hmm. have you seen this week's raw I've seen the main key points of it. I liked what I did see. Well, what I did see uh-huh. was a side of Austin Theory that I really liked. I think, I think as I say, oh. this week is it's very fitting that we're recording this because we have a guy who Triple H liked the NXT. Like they were doing a partnership with Evolve when Austin Theory is Evolve was winding down as it was bought by WWE. Austin Theory was the champion. He was the guy everyone was hyping him up and thinking when he gets signed to NXT by Triple H, Triple H is going to love this guy. Mm-hmm. He did okay. They didn't actually win any titles in NXT which I thought was weird. part of a faction was he Yeah, not? he was in Johnny Gargano's like faction. Yeah. So, like his him kind of way had like, un- had like protege like Johnny had his which was Theory and mm. you know, everyone called Indy Hartwell and then Dex Loomis got involved. It's a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole madness. But then the idea got called up because he's young and he's got muscles. Vince's like, oh, look at him. Look at him. He can be Ah, he looks like the prototype. <laughs> we can make him a new Cena. Very much, yeah. And then it's weird that all the stuff Vince tried to do with him didn't connect. And then, you know, he took some bat, some licks uh, under Triple H, but it looks like under Triple H, with just this one week, he's done more to adhere himself to the fans on the main roster in one week of Triple H than our whole time that Vince was pushing him. Yeah. All it took was getting that briefcase off him and letting him grow a bit of stubble. Yeah, Make it look like he's hit puberty finally. Everybody was getting... For the first couple of days that that happened, uh-huh. everybody was like, oh my God, that's the worst decision ever. Oh, <laughs> uh. no, no, no. If if you people would just play the long game, uh-huh. you would get to see the vision. Mm-hmm. You know? And I've seen him 
Molecate, mm-hmm. Dolph Ziggler, mm-hmm. which wasn't a bad thing because Dolph's an old man now, <laughs> you know, and no one cares about him, so it was good to see him getting a beating. Yeah. And then at the end of the show, he came out and gave Seth Rollins a severe beating, mm-hmm. which was also cool, <laughs> you know? And he says, like, I'm no longer the youngest, I'm no longer the future, I am now, uh, I am all fucking day. And I liked it. Mm-hmm. I liked it. This, that was the first week I'd seen Austin Theory, and I'd been like, wow, you don't seem like a prick. Yeah. Well, you do, but a good prick. Showing a bit of what Vince liked to call ruthless aggression. Yeah. Just then, I mean, that, get... that camera closed up when he was fucking spitting, yeah. and I was like, God, he's insane, I like him. Yeah. You're adding a bit more. La- you're adding more layers to him. You know, he's like an onion. As Strike would say, layers. Onions have layers. As opposed to him coming down the ring and going, "Oh look, I have my phone." <laughs> wow! And you're like, "Oh wow, you're a dick." <laughs> so like I said I'm hoping by the time we get this, I think we're going to say four, maybe five. We're gonna we're gonna play it by ear when it comes to how many parts of it. But hopefully, we'll have a full image of like more details of the the the, the scandal that that led him out of thing because. He's had his fair share of scandals long before this. This retrospective will take at least five years minimum. <laughs> we will be old and bereft by that point. But somehow Vince will still be alive. And we'll go, how much more can we talk about this man? How much more? Uh, yeah, I think we're not going gonna to do this part. We're not going to do part two until at least in time in the new year because at the point we were planning to take this up to... <sighs> uh, I foolishly thought we'd be able to talk about the steroid trail in this part, but I was, <laughs> I, I was, I was sadly mistaken. Yeah. But even then, around the same the steroid trail happened, there's several other scandals to talk about, and I don't want to do that before the new year because if I do I record an episode like that in December, I'm like, oh, that's a happy day, Christmas is coming. And so, a, the, a whole and so the collection gu- box of scandal. And so Vince was indicted. I'm like, oh, what a holly jolly Christmas this turns out to be. So with the holly jolly lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's no longer there. He almost went to jail. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. <laughs> so, hopefully we'll have a clear image of like the scandal that took Vince out when we get to our part. Like, it could take a while to get there, but we're going to take our time with this one. We'll get there, damn it. We'll get there on our time. We're, we're looking, actually, we're using this kind of a tester. We're looking at a... You know, do other more longer form yeah. retrospectives. And so we're kind of using this little testing ground. And also, this is closing out the gap for our little celebration of our five year anniversary. We got the booze out for yeah. partly for celebration, partly because I need this because I, I was researching Vince's early life uh, for this. It warrants a drink. It, it, it's it's had depressing. But hey, you got your trifecta of shirts now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and some more positive news before we get into it. Uh, I came up here and Paul had a gift for me. I did, because Scott has been a good friend to me and bought me things, so <laughs> I got him a thing. A t-shirt I don't think I'd ever seen before is a Kane t-shirt, of course, because Paul knows me so well. Yeah. It's, it says Kane in big fiery letters. Uh, almost similar, like, you know when, like, you know, like the, the font of, like, Eddie Guerrero, like, Latino Heat? Yeah, like yeah. 2000, that's what it kind of looks like, the font. And then a big picture of Baldy... Came from the mid two thousands. Again, I was probably first introduced to with a Fear the Monster logo on the back of it. Do you know that quote on the back of it would go really well with Braun Strowman nowadays? I was thinking that same thing. You know, that would go great with him. Fear the Monster. He might make a tweet. <laughs> Somebody take his fucking phone away. Well, Braun, stop it! You're not helping yourself here, man. 
We're going to fire you again, <laughs> you dick. <laughs> you big muscly goon. You heard about what Mustafa Ali said to him? Oh, what the hell you say to him? We're basically like, oh, we're teaching these flipping flip-flop wrestlers and Mustafa Ali. Oh, you went, how is it you got fired again? And goes like, how? Like, can you teach us how to get fired? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he may not be as strong as your brawn, but he's definitely fucking smarter than you are. Yeah, he's smart enough to stay with the company and job like a motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, thank you again for the t-shirt. Like I said to you, I've got two cane t-shirts down, because most of the shirts I see a cane are a math cane, and I've never really seen a, a ball mathless cane t-shirt, so now that I've got drive head, I've got a one with a old school cane mask on it. Well, this one, and I've got one... You've got of, one with the half mask? Yeah, the half mask with the hair kind of come around, uh, like something, it's got something demonish on it. I never liked the half mask. Mm. I never did. I liked it. My favourite look for a cane was, you know, Bad Blood 97. Mm. The debut cane. Yeah. I personally thought Mordecai looked better than Half Mask Cane. <laughs> no, it isn't that a statement. Yeah. Well, I liked Mordecai, who was Kevin Thorne, right? Yeah, Kevin ended up Thorne. Being the vampire guy. Kevin Thorne with bleached blonde hair. Eyebrows. <laughs> and beard. Yeah. He Mordecai was cool. I liked Mordecai. He went and debuted on a pay-per-view. Yes, yes he, he did. beat up Scotty too hot, who at that point I thought was, ah, well, fuck you. <laughs> you know, you don't have a fat guy, you don't have the cool one. <laughs> Just your selling, you don't even have the Baldo bomb anymore. <laughs> yeah, so thank you again for the t-shirt. And I don't have really much to say about my week. I've been pretty busy, you know, working... I've been recording some other podcasts, this stuff, and I know you and I have some plans podcast-wise yeah, for well. the end of the year, so like I said, I have a weird feeling I'm going to dislike podcasts when I get to the end of this year, but stuff's got to be done. Mm. What about you, Paul? How was your week been? Well, I am, I'm currently suffering from a shitty cold, mm. which is an annual an annual holiday thing for me, you know, yeah. get to the winter months, I get a cold. You know, it doesn't matter if I get the cold from someone or not. I could get it from someone or I could just end up, you know, getting the fucking cold. It's a winter tradition for me. Mm-hmm. But last night I, I sweated it out a bit, pushed myself through it today. So another evening of sweating it out and pushing myself through it, I should be good. I'm at the sort of sniffy and headache stage mm-hmm. at the moment. So. Yeah. Uh. I'm not worried about potentially catching it from Paul because I, I'm one of those people who also gets really always gets sick at least at one point during the winter, so it's going to happen to me one way or the hey, other. Hey, I have my medicine. Mm. I have cider. I have a cigarette. I'm good. Mm. This is why Paul would never make it as a GP. Hey, GPs used to recommend cigarettes. <laughs> just saying, like, listen, here's a prescription. It just says four kinds of trombo. I tell that to you, and here it's all flies, they'll know it was for me. Look, four kinds of trombo, 20 fags. <laughs> Get it quickly. Bring half it here. <laughs> but oh, well, actually, one thing from a week I may say, I I signed up to this challenge. It was uh, it was for charity. I like doing that kind of thing. Uh, it was a thing. It was a cha- charity. Yes. <laughs> it was a thing called Step Into Christmas Challenge. It was done with uh, associated with children. First, we did that twelve thousand step. Yeah, yeah, thing. My cool. friend Gary works with him. Yeah, it was a thing. Uh, it was made to happen on the fourth of December, where basically. You walk up and down over 5,000 odd steps inside Hampden Park. Jeez. I know, it sounds mental. 
Sounds like a sounds like a fun thing, though. Yeah, I've already started raising money for it. You see, if you, uh, you see, if you raise more than fifty, then you get a medal at the end of it, and like you can, it doesn't matter how much you raise, like they'll also they're happy for you, like raising money for it. I'm already close to my fifty pound goal at the time we're recording, so. Are you are you gunning for that medal, Scott? I I want the medal. It's, it's nice to have a medal. You're gonna get the medal and come up here wearing it and go look. I got my medal for charity, bitch. For charity, <laughs> I'm a charitable cunt, fucker. Look, I have a medal for it. I already started training by going up places near me that had steps. Like there's a train station we uh we had a little bridge. So there were some very steep steps on the other side. So I kept going from one side to the other <laughs> as the train station slowly but surely cleared out because the train was delayed and people had to get a bus. And nobody really, <sighs> thankfully, nobody said anything about the weird man walking up and down the stairs. Oh, I was a sweaty. I was very sweaty after that. Literally, like, I think I'd done some other walking, but I was like, a, there was like a little hill, but <sighs> had some steps. It wasn't quite the same I'd walked up and down earlier on. So I was going up and doing that, but it was only like I said a few steps. So I thought like it's getting good, and I'm, I'm feeling a bit burned. I wanted to go with the actual steps. So I went over to the train station immediately after it, right? Yeah. And I, I very soon after, I was feeling the burning in my, in my mouth, <laughs> and then. Actually, there was a bit. I, I bought there was a, a snoozy next to the train station, so I went in there, bought some water for myself, going back and forth. And then, actually, at one point, I had to stop halfway down the sets. It was like time number nine. I was going to because I did it. I know I did it over twenty because I, I counted it. But I, I had to stop because I could literally feel my heart just going. I thought, like, geez, my heart feels like it's about to burst out my bloody chest. Yeah. It explode. Cause I'm not because like, I'm, I'm I do like long walks. I take my dog a walk at least a mile and a half, and I have my. It's just me and him in the house. Yeah. Uh, well, the other weekend we went over three miles, me and him. Wow. Yeah. We were in a park near us and then we went around this golf course that's near my house and then all the way back. He's a well-walked doggy man. Well, he's a Jack Russell. They need long walks and also it gives them a lot of time to sniff because sniffing actually helps tire them out because it releases endorphins and shit. Cool. Which actually helps tire them out. And I've heard that if you, if, you, if you rush them too much at times that causes a lot more anxiety inside a dog. Ah. Because they don't get to release those endorphins. But... I'm very scientific, but scientificness is a good thing. Well, uh, but like it's more of that. It's like it's the steepness. It's going. It's the going up and down that uh, I guess Mr. Well, is why I'm trying to get practice at. And then I did one the other night. I did 15 minutes of going up and down the steps on my house because I live on the second floor. So I just went all the way to the bottom of the landing and all the way back. And I did that for like 15 minutes, and I was sweating as well. There, I had to grab some water. But then I got an email the other day. We've, email? Yes. We, we said uh, we've had to, due to circumstances out with our control, we've had to push this back to April 2nd and the challenge will now be called Step into Spring. And the UK, you're like, I have done all this goddamn work and you mean I'm not going to get get to implement it? Well, no, I can still trade, I just, I've got longer, more to prepare, more time to raise money. Like, when, when, when will I get the medal? <laughs> when? Well, when I'm will a... I get the proof of my achievement? Why must you take my medal from me? Hey, you can call this shirt a, a prize for all your hard work. Thank you. There you go. But I think it's That's a, better than a medal. Yeah, I'm actually going to be busier the next couple of weeks, which I was thinking I was finding it hard to fit time in to prepare, so now I know I've got more time. And also I said to my thing, like, oh, good, I can still scoff like I usually do on Christmas. There you go, you can have the glorious filter tip of achievement. You know what? I'm going to be so gracious, I'm going to give that back to you. You mean I get it? Yes, you do. Yay! Like I said, I'll... I'll it means I can still scoff over Christmas and then be like, oh, January, February when I'm training, January, February, March time when I'm training. Oh, like, no, I'm walk- I'm training and I'm also walking off that Christmas weight. Yes. And if you're anything like me on Christmas, there will be a lot of Christmas weight to walk off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Christmas, yeah. Is the- Christmas is the grazing time. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. 
<laughs> but we we just call it the grazing time. <laughs> There's nothing but food and <laughs> laziness. You just send people cards. Merry grazing time, everyone. Yes. But you need to make it an ominous card, like, so you have experienced the grazing time. <laughs> you are now fat and lazy. <laughs> anyway. Uh, literally the other day I was typing at Google and Google did not help me. I just put places in Glasgow with bolt with a lot of steps. Concert hall's got a lot of steps. Mm. You could walk up and down the concert hall. You could uh Ooh I don't know if it's your deal, but you know you could walk up and round Big Necropolis. Mm. You know, big graveyard. Yeah. Up near the brewery. That's the place. We never walked around that well, yeah. we usually just sat about and that got wasted. <laughs> but hey yeah. you could do something positive. Yeah. You know. We didn't do a lot of walking, we just done a lot of drinking and falling mm. down. <laughs> okay. So much so one time with my friend Stephen once once nearly fell through a hedge and died. <laughs> yeah. Thank goodness for that broken tombstone that made him that softened his fall. Because if it had not, he would have fallen through a hedge and down the ravine and down a very steep drop onto the fucking road. He was pretty drunk. Yeah. We laughed. <laughs> we laughed. <laughs> sure ha ha, you almost died. Ha ha ha. Just uh, as well we're in Necropolis, we don't have to take you far. Yeah, yeah. I hadn't even thought of that, but ha <laughs> ha. It's a very dark thought. I apologise, but still. Oh, Scott. Scott. <laughs> Dark thoughts I have, that's vanilla. <laughs> I have many dark mm. thoughts and jokes. Mm. Yeah. But now I, I'm in my fuzzy goodness and <laughs> being warm because I have the shivers from having the cold. Mm. And that sucks. Well, at least you're warm and... I am. And fuzzy. And fuzzy. And fuzzy. Very and fuzzy. I, I will have to take... I looked it up. I looked it up. I cannot put this in the washing machine. You mm. cannot put full fur in a washing machine. I have to take it to the dry cleaners. Yes. Well, there you But I will take it to the dry cleaners. I will get it done and it will look fantabulous. Yes, it will. Well, I think we've, we've jumped around a lot enough. Uh, shall we get into our subject at hand? Yes, we will. Yes, Let's get will. into the man. We're here to talk about here to oh, start let's this talk about Let's not get into him. No, know, no. A bit much. Well, we're getting into inside his mind. We don't, we don't need to get that personal with him. <laughs> we're, we're going inside his mind, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, strap in. Yeah, strap in, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, they're at the ready. Van der Fee now know as Vincent Kennedy, Kennedy Mc... McMahon Jr. Yes. Well... Well, not Kenny Jr., but his, his dad's full name was uh, Vincent James McMahon. Oh, so he's Vincent K. McMahon. Yeah. And that old man was Vincent well, J. Well, technically Vincent Jr., but also different middle names. <laughs> his grandfather was also in the business, Roderick Jess McMahon. Oh, Roderick Jess McMahon? Or, I, think Jesse, I think Jesse was his middle name, but everyone just called him Jess. I never knew his granddaddy was involved in the business, too. Mm-hmm. Way, way back in the early days... Of of old wrestling. No, you mean when Stu Hart can still stand upright? Yeah, and when a guy called Tootsmond and one other guy were nicknamed like the Golden Trio, they were helping. They were some of the early guys to help bring in the the kayfabeness of of wrestling and all that. Oh, to make wrestling not real. Yeah, basically, and I think Tootsmond would then be around and work with Vince uh, Senior as well. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> Vince 
you know, which man, he always, when he always came out, he was always an end all from Greenwich, Connecticut. He worked his way up, but he didn't start there. He started very humbly, the defensive man. Born in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Wow. Husband. Which is especially ironic when you hear that, like, there are certain wrestlers who who are from the southern wrestling territory. Be like, oh, Vince won't like him. He's too southern yet. Vince is a southerner boy himself. Yeah, he's a southern boy. <laughs> his father, Vince, and his mother's name was Victoria. So we had Vince, Victoria, and Vince again. Uh, Vince Senior had another son from a different marriage named Roderick. Roderick, uh, yes, an old, I think he was older brother to Vince. Named after him, granddaddy, yes. I would assume. Yeah, and so it's weird because a lot of people still, I think, don't even realize that Roderick man even exists because he's so out, out of wrestling. He's he does his, his own, own life. thing. Uh, Is he uh, just a simple man had a normal job? Can yeah, guy simple man, normal life, got his own new family. I don't know how close he and he and Vince are. Well, I, considering you never hear of him, yeah. I mean, I'm sure he's still alive. <laughs> I'm vaguely sure he's still alive, because I know obviously Vince Sr. sadly passed away. But his mum, Victoria, only passed away this year. Yeah. She got to be 102 years old. Wow. Yeah. So even up until a couple of years ago, he's still his man easier. Which is proof that Vincent Mann will st- probably still has a many years left in him, even if he's not in charge. No. Like company anymore. No. Whenever I hear that, I'll hear a lot of people making this joke about when like it's like that episode of The Simpsons when Homer steps in for Smithers and you find out that Vin- Mr. Burns' mother is still alive. Yeah. All she can do is dial and yell. Oh. <laughs> Mrs. M- Mrs. McMahon is 102 years old and she doesn't call her son Mr. McMahon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, his mum, Vince. Uh, so his parents split when he was still very young, just a baby, I think. Still, so Roderick ended up going to live with his dad. And Vince went to live with his mum. Never actually officially met his dad, did Vince, until he was 12 years old. Yeah, I knew that much. Yeah, he, you know, I think his dad was very much locked into the business. Mm-hmm. His dad, I don't think his dad did much time mm-hmm. for, you know, I think his dad's philosophy was, well, I, you know, I helped make them because I know enough. You know, I bred them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember his first name. I want to say it's Vinny. Uh, but, uh, but Vinnie Mac. Well, no, this other <laughs> person. But uh, this uh, his mum went had married a couple of different men. So Vince was growing up with his mum. I think they even mentioned at one point he did live in a trailer park at one did point. Did he not suffer some amount of physical abuse from the people his mother dated? Well, yeah, I think one particular uh, person his mum was with for a long time was a guy whose surname was Lupton. I think it was Vinnie Lupton. So Vince was was brought up originally as Vincent Lupton until after his mum. That's it. His mum and that's it. His daddy eventually took his dad's back. His dad's surname because don't want to be associated with that guy. Because who, as you meant, referred to, did beat his his mother and occasionally beat Vince whenever Vince tried to stand up for his mother. Scumbag. Mm-hmm. There's a very dark quote I discovered. I believe it's from an interview you did with the the, the, the magazine Playboy. An interview Vince did. Aye, with yeah. the, the Playboy when way back. This interview. I think it was either late nineties or start of two thousands. Yeah. When WF was you know very popular and everything. Yeah. You know, he's, he's doing an interview with Playboy, you know, for those who like to read it just for the articles, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you people that read it just for the, the articles, articles, you keep telling yourself that. That's why you read it. I, I, when when asked about him uh, and how he felt about him after he, he left, like, the guy that had, had, passed, had already passed away by this point, that Vince is... Was this how Lipton? Uh, Lipton had already passed away at this point, and Vince said, and I quote... It's unfortunate that he died before I could kill him. 
I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> so when openly, you know, my, a very popular public game video, and I this guy used to beat me and my mother. Of course, I would have got the chance to kill the fucker. Do you know that is a very fucking honest answer? Because how yeah. many how many kids that went through that shit? Mm-hmm. You know. I uh, I also watched some clips for this. I only watched up until a certain point because I want to save the rest of it for later installments of this doc- of this uh, retrospective. But it was a documentary. It was hosted by Matt Lawrence, part of a series at the time, and the name escapes me, but it was done around the time that WF was taken off and it had gone public, so there were people talking about the rise of it, they had some critics of Vince on, they had some people who were praising him and everything, yeah. and he had Vince on it, he had sections of different interviews and Vince being like more open than I think he had been at that point, yeah. which is weird because in recent years like there's been like delays with like a Vince documentary which got cancelled originally when the scandal, when he left his company. Well, like, be like, oh, Netflix giving a second chance to say to cancel this documentary. Like, everyone's like, surely now this makes it the best time to release the documentary about Vince McMahon. Because, you know, documentaries take all sorts of different turns. This is an excellent thing for the documentary. Yeah. It's like bloody Tiger King. Like, Tiger King wasn't meant to be about a thing about bloody Joe Exotic. It was meant to be a thing about, like, these guys were following people who buy exotic animals, and then they met this guy who was buying, like, a sneaker over because he said to the documentary crew when he arrived, Oh, do you want to see my tiger? And he said, "What did you get this?" And he told them, "I got it from Joe." And then they found out about Joe. They found out about Carl Baskins through that, and then that led to a Joe massive being arrested. Well, that and Joe being like <laughs> us knowing about who the fuck Joe Exotic really even is. Is he still in jail? I think he's still in jail. Yeah, he, he, I don't think he's ever getting out. Or oh, is he fucked? Well, if he gets out, he's not getting out for a long time. I think he's actually fair age at this point. I think he must be forties at least. I think he's ill too. I think he had cancer or some shit as well. Mm-hmm. But, like, but there was that, there was that, and also the fact that people have wondered, asked about potentially there was rumours of a Vince biopic mid in the mid twenty tens. God, I wonder who would play him. There was rumours that it was going to be called Pandemonium. Pandemonium. Uh, which I heard one podcast I was listening That's to. A shit name. One podcast I was listening at the time was why is they avoiding the obvious title of the film, which should be called What a Manoeuvre. Yeah. <laughs> what a manoeuvre. Uh, no, I mean. It should be called, oh, look at John Michaels. Oh, look at him. Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, I think there was rumours, I don't know, I can't cooperate this, but when the film was talked about, Vince wanted for a young him to be played by bloody Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. <laughs> as a young Vince McMahon. Why? That's about as good as your fucking wrestling decisions in the last few years. Bradley Cooper's a goon. I don't know. I, can't, I said I can't I'll cooperate. I'll tell you who'd be better playing him when he was... You know, jacked as fuck, Mr. Yeah. Mr. McMahon. Yeah. That guy played Bane. Uh, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, yeah. aye, it should be him. Uh, I think an, a good old Vince, I know Christopher McDonald, him who played Shitter and Happy Gilmore, he'd be a good older Vince. Because you, right. you see him nowadays as he's an older man, when he gets, especially when he's angry and generally people are yelling like, I see some Vince McMahon in you. Shitter McGavin. Aye. Uh, but anyway, also, I believe that jacket belongs to Mr. Gilmore. <laughs> I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. <laughs> <laughs> also, there was rumours of a Vince biography that people wanted to write and Vince ter- refu- stopped it from happening because of, and I quote, nobody wants to hear about me. No, I'm not that, I'm not interesting enough. Yes, you are. <laughs> Which is why Vince only appeared on TV in the late 2010s whenever he felt like ratings were sagging and he was desperate to get back up well I'll appear on TV and get like nah nobody wants to see me no one wants to hear about me like yes they do because 
everything we have here, Dewey, makes you seem like a mental bath. We want to know more about why yeah, you're a mental like man. Know why you're a mental old man. Mm-hmm. But this documentary that was mentioned, that was and Vince, and Vince said he, he uh, despite going through this abuse, and I, for this next bit, I, I apologise, I had to go to some dark places to find this. And by dark places, I mean Reddit. Uh, it's not a dark place. It can be, depending on the topic. Ah. But, like, I went to there and a few other places. Now, Rince also alluded in this interview in a Howard Stern interview he did in the 2000s that he, at some point in his life when he was young, was sexually abused. Wow. Now, he said, but he said I was abused, and it wasn't by a male, I'll tell you that. That's the only hint he gave. And so it was a woman who did it. Allegedly, it was either an older woman who, who his mum knew who lived in where they lived, or it might have been his own mother that did it to him. Sake. The details of it are very scarce, but there are there are details the, if you really want to find them. Yeah, and there are you know, the point to the direction of it being his mum or somebody close to them that, that did that. And so going through the physical stuff and the that, sexual stuff, the fact that he never met his actual dad until he was twelve. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Well, and I, like when I was researching it, and I found somebody who clearly knows about this kind of stuff who talked about why it would make sense if Vince really was abused like that. He goes, you know, it, and it said Vince is actually a typical abused child when you see his behaviour in later life, with a childish sense of humour, living out violent situations again and again to try and find closure, stuck halfway between adulthood and childhood mentality, because Vince does have a very childish sense of humour. We especially see when he goes. Like it's older, like whenever he'd invite people over to his house for like creative means, he's the funnest. He'd always sit in his pool, and Vince every so often would try and push people in the pool. <laughs> and people say like, Vince McMahon, one of the funniest things in the world is somebody getting pushed in the pool. <laughs> and like Vince McMahon, when he inter- when Vince got interviewed by Steve Austin like twenty fifteen, he asked him about it. And Vince goes into quite a bit of detail about why it's so funny to push someone in a pool when they don't expect it, and you see almost the child like gleaming in his <laughs> eyes as he explains it. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's like, like aha! It's like that look of fear as they're going in there and they're all like, oh god, I'm about to get wet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he goes to that, and also it said that Vince, at least in his young years, I don't know if he ever learned to deal with that in his later life, but uh, Vince apparently also suffered from dyslexia when he was young as well. Oh. So he had a lot going against him, did Vince, from, you know, Dyslexia, physical abuse, alleged sexual abuse as well, and all that. And I'm wondering if that's why he used to let some people in the attitude have so much freedom. Like, he would, he'd go to write a script, he couldn't read it, and was like, oh, fuck it, say whatever you want. <laughs> Which is why probably segments sometimes, especially ones with Triple H and Vince himself, went too long. Like, because we didn't script out an ending here, like, I'm talking, I'm talking, don't really know how to end this. Yeah, or maybe explain why in early, late, recent years Vince McMahon has has been alleged to rip up scripts. He just rips them out like I can't read this. Bring me back something I can read. Not to make light of dyslexia people. I'm just trying to keep this light. Try yeah, to keep but light. you're like just bring me an audio tape. <laughs> you know, like Billy Collins would say, just tell me, I'll understand. But then, really, he wouldn't really. Well, he might understand it, but he'd still go, Nah, Nah, nah I'm well, gonna. Look, fuck you, I'm not going to make him violent, I'm giving him a fucking phone and a briefcase, alright? Uh. Oh. What else has he done? I'm not I'm not going to 
I'm not going to take this indie guy that everybody fucking slabbers with and bash him. I'm going to job him out to fucking make more like a daddy. Aye. And see that stupid wee beardy cunt that everybody's pure clamouring over? I'm not making him the champion. <laughs> oh, you what? We're going to riot if we don't make a fine. Make him the fucking champion then. Fine. <laughs> fine. Don't even want it anyway. Don't even want it. But that cunt who went and made himself famous on the internet because we wouldn't. Alright, gave him the title but only gave him it for the night. Aye. I want to half him the next morning. Aye. Oh, what? You're saying he's quitting? Mm hmm. I will fuck. You know? Aye. Fuck him. Anyway. So, he had all that, and Vince and the story mentioned when talking about being abused by like, his stepdad, like being beaten and everything. He said, he had this quote and he said that he had this mantra that he took through life whenever things were, were hard. He went, <sighs> where, things, where things were hard, he said, uh, if I survived the ordeal, I've won. I lived, I got, I was beaten regularly, but I survived, and I'm still here, and so I win. That's a great life mm-hmm. philosophy. Yeah. That's really fucking great. Yeah. The idea of, like, if you get through a difficult situation, then, you know, you've won in the end. No. Like, you, like <coughs> Vince supposedly, like, was a person, like, people close to him would describe him as somebody who, like, he hate, he would hate people who would use their circumstances or their environment as an excuse as to why they didn't achieve something, because in his mind, like, anyone, if he did it, than anyone else can do it. Aye, like if you really, if you truly want to beat the situation, you can beat the situation. Pretty much, yeah. That's a great life philosophy. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna take like my own life yeah. in there, and that's fucking <laughs> well done to Vince on that one. Uh, don't let the bastards beat you. Yeah, don't let the bastards grind you down. That's the, that's the general Scottish version of that. Don't let the bastards beat you, man. <laughs> fucking start up and show the bastards. Yeah. Uh, he would. He did get into a bit of trouble at school. He had a bit of a temper. Did Vince? Which, ah, yeah. Old, old Cam Vince. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? Which again goes back to you know the idea of him being uh, being horribly treated at home because there is a there is like a pattern of like if you're like a regular victim of of bullying or some sort of abuse, then you'll try and take it out on other people and you know make them other people feel what you felt to make yourself feel a yeah. little bit better. Like you see it in TV shows, like oh, you see a bully in a, a teen like high school thing, and then that bully goes home. You see that they're getting shit yes. at home and all that. So you know, that's a real thing at times. So Vince about Tepper, plus he was dyslexic. He would get slagged apparently for being dyslexic because I don't think because kids are fucking cruel. Well, he was growing up in like late fifties, early sixties. I don't think any people, many people, just understood what dyslexia really was back then. Uh, no, no. I mean, Ozzy, <laughs> Ozzy has dyslexia. You know, and he, he suffered for that in school too, you know, like teachers not thinking mm-hmm. he was a daddy. Mm-hmm. Just because he was dyslexic, you mm-hmm. know. And we got sick, the white, the white, the guy ended up in the band with him, Tony he thought he was a dick. <laughs> you know, when he, when he joined the band, or when he was auditioning to join the band, they were like, like, oh, I remember him from school, he was a dick. <laughs> you know? We weren't even, we wasn't even sure about having him in a band at first. I remember, he was a wee prick, I didn't want to have him in a band. <laughs> no, Ben's also getting get constantly gets into fights at school. And so at one point he's given a choice, according to Ben's, this was his choice. Go to this institution that would help him, was mainly dealt for kids who were a bit mental, mm. and help go through these issues, or go to a military school. Yeah. He chose military school. Yeah, right. 
because he basically said nobody knows me there. It's like a fresh start for me. I start over again. No, uh, so that's indeed what he did. Went to yeah. military school. He went to a Fish Foreign <laughs> Military School in Virginia, graduating in the year of 1864. Now, according to this uh, documentary, he was very nearly the first person in that school history to get court-martialed for, <laughs> allegedly, they said in the documentary that it had, there was, hadn't really been proven, that allegedly was apparently some prank being organised for a mass of, of all the boys putting up, pulling their pants down or whatever at graduation. A mass mooning. Yes, which allegedly was was linked back to Vince as the supposed organiser of I it all. I see that being yeah. And so Vince was a big horse, and apparently a big a group of his teachers all stood up for him and spoke out like, no, he wouldn't do that, he's, a, he's been a good student while he's been here. And, he wouldn't do that, he's a good boy. And like, and so he didn't get court martial, but like, and Vince talked about how, how much that affected him, because like, that was a level of support I don't think I'd ever, I'd never really gotten up until that mm. point. And so that, as a really primitive one, like the idea of like, you know, you don't feel, like he's, he's definitely had a hard home life, so not feeling that love and that support, and then, when these people go out of their way to make sure you graduate and everything. Mm. It's almost like someone of a fucking movie. Like. It really is. I mean, like I say, you talk about a biopic, you know, yeah. a biopic, that would, that would be great. Yeah. And so, like I said, he does meet his dad, uh, Vince Sr., when he's 12 years old. Is this after he's done military school? No, I think this is before, but I put these oh, in okay, our okay. note. But I think this is done by school, so I think this is a good idea to like, move him towards him getting involved in the world of wrestling. I think yeah. that's a good barrel here. Oh, although maybe I should mention uh, this before I talk about wrestling. Vince, at 16 years old, he was at church one day when he met a young 13-year-old called Linda Edwards, his future wife, Linda oh, McMahon. Linda McMahon. Yes. And they joke about it in the documentary that I was watching about how it was the most unusual place for a young rebellious Vince McMahon to meet Me his future wife. Uh, also, I didn't realise that you know there was that three-year kind of age gap between the two of them as well. Yeah. He said... Uh, and Linda only had like one brief bit to camera, but she basically jokes like she almost didn't go out with him because she thought yeah she noticed his temper. Like, nah, I can't bring a guy like that home to meet my mum and dad. <laughs> and then then they just move on, like no other hints and tea. Yeah, they're like, come on, you tell us something. Mm-hmm. Go on, you know, he's yeah. So basically, it's a case of met as teenagers, got married very young, childhood sweethearts almost in a case. Although Vince would admit over the years. I think it was in like 2001 he did that interview where he mentioned he alludes to the abuse and that No. but he also did admit that over the years he had been unfaithful to Linda he said I have, I have been faithful for the last six years but in the past I have cheated on her so it starts off happy he has definitely cheated on her earlier so it can't be uh, they've definitely had some struggles to have old Vince and Linda as a, as a Michael especially on Linda's end oh aye, aye. I think I think Linda had always been faithful with a wee bit mm-hmm Annoyed by him at times, you know, but like you say, with that kind of personality and upbringing that Vince had, it's no surprise and he had that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, although he said he, he was apologetic and regrets, you know, cheating on her, but did go on to admit that he did find the sex very great <laughs> when he was cheating on her, so like... At least he's honest. Because, uh, you know, as, we, as we've seen on 2000 Smackdown and Rogue Pines, as we've reviewed it, he's, as he called himself, the genetic jackhammer. <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did get married. So is he Jack 1 or 2 from Tekken? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he got married to Linda on August 26, 1966. 
when she was 19 and he was 22. Wow. Well, funnily enough, as a wee tangent, my mum was 19 when she got married to my dad. I think my dad was like 23 or something like that. Uh-huh. There's a bit of an age gap between my mum and my dad. Not too much, but just a few years. I don't know what age my mother was when she got married, but I know what age she was when she had me. She was 21 when she had me. My mum was 21 when she had my brother, and then 24 when she had me. Ah. Well, my mother was 21 when she had me, and 29 or 30 when she had my brother. Hmm. There's an eight-year gap between me and my brother. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> my mum, I remember getting a bit, having, having a, a couple of extra glasses of wine during my brother's 21st when we were celebrating that, and her excuse was... I couldn't celebrate my 21st because I was pregnant because my mum was born in January. My mum was born in January. My brother was born in May. So my January, our 21st birthday, she already been a fair bit along. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't celebrate less on my 21st, so I'm doing it on yours. <laughs> and as far as she's concerned, there's nothing anybody else could say about it. Damn right. Damn right. <laughs> Damn right. I, I, I don't... <laughs> Props to your ma. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he did... He was meeting his dad when he was 12, as I mentioned. And then they would regularly he would accompany his father to, to Madison Square Gardens, which, which was a big hub for the then WWF at the time. Yeah, see, if you said that like Vince, it would seem better like Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and very quickly he realised, like, I want to be involved in wrestling. But originally he said to his dad, Dad, I want to be a wrestler. And his dad said, absolutely yeah, not. He was like, Dad, I want to be a wrestler. And his dad was like, fuck no, you're not being a wrestler. Which apparently... apparently he, even though he would grow up to be successful, he still had a hatred for rich people, even though he became a millionaire in his own right. Yeah, well, like, he became a billionaire, didn't uh, he not? Yeah, at one point, I think. But, like, yeah. he, uh, I think it's because, he, in his mind, he felt like a lot of rich people are, like, they, they get the money, but most people end up inheriting it from their parents who are rich, and then on and on it goes. So he so generally pe- thought most rich people were just honeyed shit and slackers and shites. I think maybe in his own mind, he's, like, earned his wealth, whereas he didn't feel many other rich people do. No, he just there. had it handed to them. Which, in a weird way, his kids then had their wealth handed to them, in a way. But even though Shane and Stephanie have worked in their own ways, they still had a bit of an advantage having a very rich daddy in their own way. Oh, yeah. Stephanie's... Yeah. Main gimmick when she started in the WWF, like when she turned heel for a while, was spoiled rich daddy's girl, and yeah, way. yeah, and like Shane was the prodigal son and everything. Oh, he's a something. <laughs> I mean, he's my mom and dad were married when he was born, but he's still a bastard, and oh, he's can still a that. bastard, aye. <laughs> we stupid faced bastard. Well, I knew he's just an old stupid faced bastard. Prick. Just like his daddy. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, Vince is even less a prick than Shane. But, but, but the reason I brought up the ritual thing is because part of the reason when the Million Dollar Man gimmick was given to Ted DiBiase and he was heavily pushed is because Vince, I mean, the reason he loves rich guy gimmicks is why he would revisit it with the likes of, you know, well, well, with himself when he was Mr. McMahon yeah. and like JBL and other characters like that. Alberto Del Rio had that kind of character. But like, it was because Vince. <laughs> Wanted to be like the million dollar man. Like he thought, if I was a wrestler, I'd be the million dollar man yeah. character. And yet he never gave him the title. Yeah, well, he was going to, but then that fucking honky tonk man fucked up for everyone. Did he? Because he wouldn't drop the IC belt to Savage, so then Savage, through a convoluted circumstance, had to win the WWF title because Vince didn't want his two main singles belts being held by heels. Yeah. Pity. Pity, yeah. But, so if it was up to Vince, uh, you know, the million dollar one man would have had the belt. He would have had the belt if it had been up to Vince. So technically, technically, if you want to be technical, he did. He did. He, he bought it from Andre and defended it on house shows. 
Yes, he did. He defended it against Bam Bam Bigelow at one house show. One, one of the few house shows that that has that's been recorded of like him defending the belt. Does I think it's in San Francisco and it's a match against Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah, which is weird. Is he? Is he? Is he on the the historic register of champions though? Mm-mm. So his his title reign is about has about as much mm-hmm. historical credibility as the Rockers tag title one. Mm-hmm. It's as it's as valid as like. Antonio Noki, who technically won it from uh, Mark, in Japan, and then vacated it, and there was a whole thing there. We, are, I do another ambitious uh, bit I wanted at one point is like the WWE title or WWF, WWF. Yeah, well, the WWE title. It's the WWE title. We we say that now, but I know what you mean. The history of the world title. In a weird way, as we get further into this, as further into this part, and Vince uh, taking over, and then it's a couple of parts. This thing I said to Paul before we started this that. It's like, this is almost all, as much of a history of Vince's life, it's almost the history of the WWF itself in a lot it of ways. very much Cause, is. Because what Vince was doing in his life at the time often influences what happens in his company. No, as I said, I mean, if you look at it, like when his dad had it, it was WWF, yeah. Worldwide Wrestling Federation, mm-hmm. you know. And his daddy was, like I say, his dad was a territory guy, you know yeah. I mean? He was like, cool with territory, he was like, you have your bit, I'll have my bit of it in school, yeah. and Vince was like, nah, 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 I'm going to come in, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to take it national, and I'm going to fuck up everybody else in the process. I've got some details about how he went about that very later on in this episode, but, awesome. but like, there are people like Jim Cornette, obviously, who used to say, like, he, he like, people like old Vince, you know, would be professional, like, if he wanted a talent, he'd say, hey, can you make so-and-so available for me in exchange, I'll send so-and-so down to your territory. Uh, you're like, I'll give you a shot of this. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you give me a shot of that, and and like stories one are for one, and stories are that like Vince promised Dad, I mean certain promises, like there are certain people who Vince <laughs> promised to take care of when he came power. Fabulous Miller was one of them. Yeah, uh, you know for all the good that did, fucking bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a man who went to the hall of the Mr. James Dudley, who was actually a chauffeur mm. and kind of like guy who worked for under under man, and he knew the guy. I had a lot of mental issues, and he, you see him in the his Hall of Fame induction, like whatever else, he can't really get up and give a speech like everyone else because mm. he was going through a lot, and you know he did a lot for and Vince and took a shine to the guy, and you know made sure to help him out his well being, and actually said like take care of the guy, you know after um when you're in charge. So there are certain people who work it around because Vince, Vince promised. Promised to it, but then one promise he didn't keep was basically saying that he wouldn't go against other territories, and basically everything that he didn't take to the day went against a promise he made to his own dad, yeah. which was which was brought up years later in a Paul Heyman like promo after the invasion when he was rallying against Vince for you know, putting other companies out of business and yeah. again did a lot of work shit there, but yeah, Vince's dad was very set in his ways, very traditional, and basically a bit like no, no, promoters should not be on, also be on screen talent as well. So, you know, you're not going to be a wrestler. I don't want you involved in wrestling in any facet. It's, it's very interesting that you say Vince Sr. was very set in his ways, <laughs> much like Vince Jr. And Vince Sr. even, like Vince Jr. even says in that documentary that I've been talking about, it said, like, oh, my dad wanted to be something else. He didn't want me in wrestling. He wanted me be going to be, like, a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. Why don't you go and be something practical? I don't want you involved in wrestling. Which remains... It's funny how, like, you can have, like... Per- you have people who are in a certain profession who are so adamant against their own children getting involved in it, and more often not, they do it. Like, there's a funny story I heard Anthony Hawkins tell. He said his dad was a baker, 
And uh, he said, when I was growing up, I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be a baker. And my dad turned to me and said, like, God, dear boy, don't you don't get into baking. You'll ruin the entire industry. <laughs> basically, like, no, go and do something better with your life, basically. Yeah. And then away he did. So, but Vince did end up making his way, working backstage and did end up getting a role on TV. Yeah, he was a commentary man. Yes, in 1969, he made his debut as a ring announcer for the WWE program All Star Wrestling. <laughs> 1969, you say? Yes. I uh, I looked into a bit more about All Star Wrestling. I kind of, Vince would go on to be the host of All Star in the years went on, as uh, usually his co host would be Lord Alfred Hayes or Pat Patterson. But after Vince took over around about 1982, Monster and Jesse Ventura became the host of the show until it was ultimately cancelled in 1986. Oh. Uh, and then around about 1971 was a big year for Vince in terms of getting more responsibility and proving to his daddy that he could, you know, he could run the show. Yeah. First off, in 1971, he was assigned to work in a, a small territory of his dad's in Maine because it, it was allegedly the promoter who was working down there for him was being accused. Either of suspicions that the guy was stealing money from yeah. Vince Senior, so he one day goes and goes, "All right, you got like I think it was like six months. He might go, or maybe even six weeks, but I think I'll say I'll be generous and say it was six months. He was given like you go down there, you know, promote your first show." Try, try and turn that territory around if you succeed, if you fair enough but if you don't, don't ever ask me to be in the business again Yeah. basically this is your make or break chance here right, this is your chance, don't fuck it up you're not getting another chance and obviously we wouldn't be here talking about him if I had it not been a success he did, he, I don't have much details about the show that Vince would have put on but apparently he did help turn around and make some money for his dad and then around that same time there was a TV taping and uh, one of the TV play-by-play commentators Ray Morgan uh, didn't make the taping so Vince was very reluctantly put in by his dad as a replacement uh, play-by-play commentator and then would hold on to some sort of commentary position for from then on up until yeah. the, up until also he, he left that position after November of 97 after yeah. the screw job and all that after the screw job and after the whole Mr. McMahon angle mm-hmm. yeah and I also want to talk about uh, this uh, notable moment in sports Yes, Vince had a hand in it. Apparently, I think he was helping promote it in the American market. But Vince had a hand in promoting the famous Antonio Inoki Muhammad Ali boxer versus wrestler fight. Ooh. And I got very curious about this. I know I have enough notes about Vince, but I got very curious. So if you'll allow me to detour, can I talk to you oh, about this no, fight? Oh, no, please do tell. I've always been curious about the details. I mean, that Antonio Inoki, <laughs> I've often thought he was cool ever since I've seen that YouTube video of him mm. beating the living fuck out of that wrestler. He wouldn't he? Wouldn't he sell right? Yeah, the great, the great Antonio or yeah. something. He also sadly uh, passed away earlier this year. Did Antonio Inoki? Uh, weirdly, yeah. around at the same time that the company he founded, New Japan Pro Wrestling, is celebrating fifty years of its uh, of its existence. Past. Yeah, and I think they're even like like paying tribute in the big January Fourth Tokyo Dome show. Like this show will be put on in honor of. Uh, to Inoki, it's a annual show, but we're doing it in memory of Mr. Inoki. Yeah. No, like I say, I watched that YouTube <laughs> video, that the great, the great Antonio <laughs> against Antonio Inoki, <laughs> and the guy was no selling like a bitch and stiff hitting Antonio Inoki to the point where Inoki went and lost his shit and proceeded to stamp the guy into a bloody mess. <laughs> and the funniest thing about that is, just after <laughs> he's decided he stamped him enough, he gives him a look as if to say, "Fucking cunt, can you wrestle a match, right?" <laughs> Yeah, he's like, yeah, useless big diddy. Don't try and go off script with a wrestler in Japan because majority of them are staying in that 
uh, particular style, which is harder hitting than most other places in the world. So yeah. if you try and fuck with them, they'll fuck with you ten times harder. Yeah, well, and I think that like, Great Antonio found that out very much to his displeasure because he got his face stamped in. Yeah, like this fight between Noki and Mali is a lot of people pimp it. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm good. A lot of people point to this as like a turning point, a, a kind of a point you can pinpoint a change in the evolution of what it would go on to become mixed martial arts. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Inoki was trained by Ricky Dozan, who's credited like the father of Japanese wrestling and everything, one of the stiffest. Like there was a guy who was like was kind of a kind of a boxer, kind of a kickboxing kind of guy, and he'd knocked out a very famous fighter from Brazil. Yeah, and like, he was challenged to a fight with Ricky Dozan, who apparently. Went off script, shot on, and knocked the guy the fuck out. <laughs> Make it basically cement himself as one of the hardest men you've been. And okay, this way came from that old school of like he like shoot style. I would you very heavily influenced in what would become MMA. He would implore like a lot of shoot style stuff into New Japan yeah, over the years. Yeah. And you know, like this is in like the fight took place in seventy six, so a few years after he'd formed the New Japan Pro Wrestling in nineteen seventy two. Yeah. Did he? Um, sorry, I on you. No, no, no. Did he have any hand in uh, pro wrestling? No. No, uh, Noah was kind of born out of a group of people kind of defected from all Japan wrestling. Oh, right, I was, right. No, Noah, I think, was officially born in the year, start of the year 2000. Oh, okay, okay. I think on. at one point, as New Japan, because of a lot of the something I don't know he was doing with implementing shoot fighting and MMA guys, also in the mid 2000s, also around that time, they brought Lesnar briefly went over there. Yeah. Which is funny. I think at that point, Noah was doing a lot more traditional stuff and also. Uh, they were doing a partnership with places like Ring of Honor that was really kicking off. So at brief point in the mid two thousands, Noah overtook New Japan, and then in the twenty tens, New Japan took over Noah again. So it was like Noah, then Pro J- New Japan, then Noah, yeah. then New Japan. Like yeah. fuck you. Yeah, like because like there's a style, also strong style. The belief I've heard of it, strong style is like hitting as often and as hard as you can, right? But like a thing from old Japan, which then takes place in a, that same style goes over to Noah because a lot of people were involved in the founding. The nature of it is, I think, called King's Road, which is like taking punishment, taking my strikes, just taking like 10 strikes just to hit one. But when you hit that one, you make it count. Yeah. Like Kenta was, came up through Pro Wrestling, so he would be a guy of that King's Road style. I must say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to do my best to see this <laughs> match between uh, Shunsuke and the Great Motor. Mm. Yeah. That would like, be a hell of a match. Yeah, I think uh, they did fight in New Japan. I think one of Shinsuke, I think Shinsuke's second or third reign as New Japan as IWGP World Champion was ended by the Great Man. I definitely, they definitely did fight at Wrestle Kingdom, one of the early Wrestle Kings at one point. Yeah, yeah. but it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to see it from the simple fact that you know Shinsuke will have to revert, I think, yeah. because he's been wrestling the WWE style, mm-hmm. and then he'll be in pro wrestling. Well, is it Noah? Yeah, this? Noah. Even though he's primarily a New Japan guy, but he'll be wrestling Noah, and he'll be like, right. Time to, time to live up to the strong style moniker again. Yeah. Goody. I'll like, get to kick some ass here. Like his early gimmick was like a shoot style guy when he was champion, but then his most successful stuff was like holding their version of the Intercontinental title. Yeah. And then he started evolving. It's more flamboyant. Look, I'm like Japanese Michael Jackson me with my King of Strong style account. Right. Look at how my casual walked down the ring and then kicked someone in the head. Like the Kim Shasta was known as the Bomb IA, which I, hear, I heard a, real, real, a loose translation and don't call me this may have been loose translation may have been kill him or kill something so people chant Shinsuke by me which basically translates to Shinsuke kill him Shinsuke kill him yes kill the bastard 
No mercy, we want blood. <laughs> we paid for blood. blood. <laughs> anyway, so that would be me, you know. Yeah. We paid for blood. But at the time, in ni- a year before this, in April, I think it was of nineteen seventy-five, uh, a couple of months before Ali's getting set to have a third fight with a uh, with Joe Frazier, he's at a party, he meets this promoter from Javad who kind of knows Anoki, and kind of, and Ali credit admits he was a fan of wrestling. Like, yeah. He even credits a lot of his gift of gab to people like uh, Gorgeous George. Oh, he's a big yeah. fan of George. Like Vincent Mann also was apparently a big fan of Gorgeous George growing up as well. And like George is created one of the first proper characters of yeah, wrestling. Yeah, the first larger life types. Like that documentary I was watching about Vince kind of implies that part of the reason that Vince uh, chose Hogan shortly after he uh, took over the company is that he wanted to use characters like Gorgeous George and he, and he in his own way felt like Hogan had this Gorgeous George energy like this character that made you feel yeah. just a wrestler. He, well, I mean, he made you feel things. You look at you look at like the kind of people that were getting pushed in the WWF. Mm-hmm. Beforehand, you had you know Bruno Sammartino, mm-hmm. big hulking beast of man, yeah. but like the champion who had been the champion for eight years, mm-hmm. apart from when Anoki beat him. Yeah, but eight years he'd been the champ, right? Mm-hmm. Bob Backlund, Bob Backlund. He was Bob Backlund. They got beat by Anoki, not Sammartino. Oh no! I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah. Like San Martino was yeah. a long champion. Yeah. Backlund was a long champion. Yeah. Like, but that's the thing. Like Hogan, Backlund, San Martino, and Pedro Morales. Pedro Morales. Yeah. They're the four people who, who hold a world title longer than uh, than Roman currently. Don Morocco. No, no, Don Morocco was IC champion. I don't think he was ever world champion. Mm. I think the reason those four hell had long reigns is that was the style. Unlike other territories where you have a lot. Was the style at the time? Unlike heel champs like NWA, heel heel champs like Flair holding it for ages and faces chasing them. The New York crowd in the territories that the the small territories that WWF held at the time were a case of no the fan the fans there were used to long face champions fending off heels, and when heels do win it, it's only very shortly. To then transition it to the next big phase. Yeah, but I mean, the thing I was getting at was uh, you look at Backlund, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you you look at Backlund, mm-hmm. physical presence, mm-hmm. right? And Backlund was a guy that I'm assuming Vince Senior favoured, right? I assume so, yeah. Bob Backlund had the body look of more like an athletic wrestler. Mm-hmm. You know, he was like he was like mm-hmm. ha, <laughs> you know, like you know when you see little black and whites of wrestlers and the yeah. fucking singlet, like, you know, he'd gear on going. Look, right, it's like that. There's a similar pose that you're doing now that people can't see, but like it's about when he shows old school photos, like when Grail Monsoon was a big Tolkien wrestler, aye, you know, aye. his big beard and everything. But with stance, you know, that hunched arms out, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, back when there was that kind of guy, whereas Hogan was this huge six foot plus mountain of muscle <laughs> with luscious blonde hair, you know, for the first couple of years WWF career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, once once he tight stunned Yella, the hair went away. You know, because when he was a heel getting managed by classy Freddie Blassie, he still had a hairline that didn't get laughed at, <laughs> just a bit. You know, I mean, I think it's a case of like Hogan is was cursed by the wrestling god. You can have as much political power and hold the belt as long as you want, but you must sacrifice your hairline. He's like, when you think about it, the more sway that Hogan got. Over the years in wrestling, the further back his hair would go. And he's like, well, uh, let me tell you something, brother. I know the Hulkster doesn't give two shits about his hairline. He just wants to stomp on everyone, push everyone down and be the best in the world. And what you gonna do? <sighs> Fuck all about it. What you gonna do? 
when the Hulkster politics on you. And I'm going by the way, just this quote, by the way, is directly from Ali, not from me. But apparently he said to this Japanese promoted did Ali to get back to the story. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you know there's any of you Oriental fighters that can uh, beat me? <laughs> that was uh, Ali's exact words to him. Because I think Ali was purposely wanting to fight someone from Japan. Wait, any any you couldn't stake me on? Right. So, he used, so he used that, those words exactly. And he, <laughs> I think he was hoping that that would get back to Japan and someone would step up to fight him. And so, right? And of course, I know he's like, I'll fucking fight I'll you. I'll take you on. They were even willing to pay up a, a solid amount of money, I think in the so, millions. How many fights did they have? Anoki. No, just the, it was just the one fight. Anoki and Ali. Who won? Well, we'll get well, to that's that. That's the second. question, because I assume if it's Ali and Anoki, was a little teeny bit of legitimacy on this. Well, this is where the things get muddy. Like, and so Ali was almost unwilling to do it. Like, there were people close to him saying, like, don't fucking fight a wrestler. Like, oh, like, because there were even people in the press at the time like, why is Ali, you know, lowering himself to fight a wrestler? Lowering himself? Yes. No. Oh. He was like, he was a dead boss, like, but lowered himself as the greatest of all time and all that, and he was in a lot of ways, but he he said, like, I've got this fight with Joe Frazier, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about retiring after that, plus he had a couple of marriages, which led to a couple of divorces, so no, uh, uh, he was in need of some cash, and so they were... Well, Ali? Ah, yeah. Yeah. So they were willing to put up a good amount of money in the millions where he said, to have to make the fight happen, so like, Fuck it, take the payday, Ali. Even had in his corner in interviews promoting the fight and in his corner for the fight, he had classy Freddie Blassie as Ali's manager. Nice. <laughs> he wrestled as a heel in Japan, so they wanted that connection of a heated figure in Japan because they thought Ali goes over there, the Japanese fans might turn against him because he's fighting one of their own. Yeah. And so there's some confusion here where Inoki is on the impression that Ali was made aware that this is going to be a shoot fight, we're going to fight for real, you and I, whereas... Ali's in the question, oh, it's going to be a bit of an exhibition, like, when, and apparently asked Anoki at one point, when are we going to rehearse this? And like, there's no rehearsal, this is a fight. Yeah, Anoki's like, no, I'm not fucking about And then some, uh, an unofficial rules got put into the fight where, like, like Anoki couldn't hit, kick Ali unless, like, one foot leg was on the mat or somewhere. Then there were weird rules. The audience who went to see the fight or watch at home weren't told the rules. The guys involved were told the rules, which then led to. Very quickly, Ali, uh, no, Anoki going to the mat and kicking at Ali <laughs> and basically trying to dare me to come down. But Ali's not going to go down because you know, if I go down there, I'm on his level. He's going to fucking get me. Uh, and Ali's not we're willing, and Anoki not willing to square up fist to fist with bloody yeah, like, Muhammad Ali. I'll kick you, but I'm not fucking, I'm not punching you. Like close enough, he'll land a fucking shot on me. Yeah. And basically, the match ended in a very underwhelming draw. But it is thought that there are six kicks. That uh, I think it went fifteen, nearly fifteen rounds of fuck all happening, <laughs> and and Ali did get like six really strong kicks around his thighs from Anoki, uh, and nope. later on he would get some blood clots in his legs, and his legs were very swollen after the match, and like some issues he had with like blood clots afterwards. A lot of people do attribute those kicks from Anoki as the blood clots, and like when he would try and fight, but with his legs is the way they were, like. His dance was never the same again. After Anoki kicked the shit out of So Anoki's kicks left a long-lasting effect on Muhammad Ali. Like I say, you don't, you don't fuck about with the <laughs> Japanese wrestlers because they don't take shit. Well, again, there was a real awful MMA influence in Japan in the years following that, like Minoru Suzuki, who we saw in Impact last year, helped form a, a company, an MMA slash wrestling crossover company called Pancrease back in the day. We see that old man in his pants. An old man, the old man in his pants, yes. The old man in his pants with the wrinkly heat. 
He fought George Alexander shortly before he murdered that Caleb with a K guy. Aye. I don't I don't I would never say this to the guy's face because oh, he'd no. mutilate me, but I mean he looked like a blinkly boss <laughs> You know? He was like the, the angry crazy granddad with the wrinkly boss kid. But then I think this is now where we move into an important moment in time Vince also promote this fight, but then we're going Vince Senior wants to get out of the business. He wants to retire. Because sadly, only two years after he gave the business away, his son did Vince Sr. pass away. Yeah. He passed away in 1984, which means he never got to see his son put on WrestleMania. Well, that is gay. Which is very sad. Yeah. I'm assuming Vince would have liked to say to him, like, look, look I, what I've done. I think it would be a big sign for him to say his dad would show how successful his own brand of the company and sports entertainment had yeah. been. But, so Vince, also, if you ever wondered why. The WF is some places called it's referred to slightly as Titan or the WF office is known as Titan Towers. Yeah, Titan Towers. Because on February twenty fourth, nineteen eighty, Vince founded along with Linda a company called Titan Sports. Mm. So when Vince would buy the company from his father, he bought it under the banner of Titan Sports, which is why the offices were later renamed Titan Towers. Because the kind of weird company that Vince founded was then but then buying the WF was called Titan at the time. That was Vince's little business. Vince before he got into actually the business, did have a brief career, I may mention, as a travelling salesman. Nah, That's how he was making it. money after he and Linda got married. How did, uh, how much did he buy the company for? Well, that's the thing, actually. He wasn't just buying it from his dad, he bought it from a couple of uh, shareholders as well. Right, people so he who, bought it outright. He bought it from a couple of people who had shares in the company who were working within it, who held big shares. I can't remember, there's three of them, I can't remember one of the guys' names, but the other two were... Arnold Scarland, who was famously the yeah. screen manager of Bob Backlund, yeah. and Gorilla Monsoon. Gorilla? So he, he, he worked out a payment plan where Vince would pay a series of payments, which totaled a million dollars, which in 1982... Was a fuckload of money. I mean, it's a fuckload now, but like even more so in 82. Yeah. And they worked out a system where he would be paying it over installments, and he did it over the next couple of years, and literally it was a case of, okay, if you default or miss one of these payments, deal with null and void, and the shares come back to us. Yeah. So Vince made sure it Sure he had to make sure he had the money to pay you know, these installments. And these I'm installments. assuming he made most of that money back from the first WrestleMania, though. Pretty much, yeah. You know, the first WrestleMania financed his purchase of the company. Well, he was already putting his vision into place before his dad even left because, like, it's in 1979 that the WWE, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, becomes the World Wrestling Federation. Yeah. And he was a big proponent behind his dad telling his dad to change the name of the company. Yeah, just make it look. WWF. Just the world wrestling. We don't need the worldwide part. And also, he was helping get their company shown in other markets by basically being one of the first tape traders of like helping get tapes of their shows distributed to TV stations and other markets and being sent to other places yeah. and everything and helping their, their product being seen by a broader their audience. He was already implementing this whole national vision of his while working alongside his father. And then once he got the money to buy the company, he basically, you know, he's the lord of the man, he's the guy in charge, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, in 1982, he buys it from his dad. And, I also wanted to mention a thing about NWA being involved in the company, which also has, means I need to go back to a few years to the foundation of the WWF, if you'll let me. This little history lesson for you. This will be interesting. I didn't so know where I... to put it. I thought, well, Vince, shortly after <coughs> when the company comes out of the NWA, so this is where it's a good time to go. I am all ears. Well, a lot of people think it. that you know, the, WF leaves the, the WF leaves the NWA after Vince you know, takes over. But they don't realise that it went. It left originally, then came back and then left again when Vince took over. Because 
And on January 24, 1963, Luthez defeats Buddy Rogers for the NWA title. The WWF, it's not even called the World Wide Wrestling Federation back really? then. Back then it was called, the, the company was known as CWC. Do I know what CWC, would you like to guess what CWC stood for? You were just going to have a New York, Northeastern CWC? Yes. Uh, oh, I was, I'm going to say the word combat. Is that in there? No. Oh, just hit me with it. Uh, I thought it would be funny. It, it, it was then known that before Buddy Roger, before they left the NWS, the Capital Wrestling Corporation. Fuck! I knew that. <laughs> you know that one where you, you, know. you hear it and you go, fuck, I've heard that before. NXT briefly paid tribute to this uh, in late 2020 and told the rebrand NXT 2.0 where they renamed the NXT again full style arena to the CWC, but this time it, called, it was called the Capital Wrestling Centre. Oh. It was just kind of fun. Kind of. So they were the CWC, so... Buddy Rogers is the NWA champion, uh, and lost it to Luthez, who Vin- but Vince Senior uh, and his other kind of confidence didn't want to acknowledge the title change to Luthez because when Luthez went to their territory and their markets, he wasn't a particularly strong draw, mm-hmm. so they didn't like the idea because Buddy Rogers was one of their guys, so they didn't like the idea of that happened. So uh, they withdrew from the from the NWA, became the World Wide Wrestling Federation, and on April. Uh, April of nineteen sixty-three, Buddy Rogers was gifted, given seen as a real the real champion, was awarded the title of being the first ever WWF champion. Mm-hmm. Who then shortly lost it because he was having some back issues uh, and was a bit older. He quickly lost it within like a couple of months to to Bruno Sammartino, uh, and the rest is history. Yeah. But then they quietly rejoined at the end of Bruno's first reign in nineteen seventy-one, uh, and then would stay with them. And then until Vince came in, and it was in nineteen eighty-three. That they would re- leave. Remember the time in '83 that they would become WF. That is not associated with the NWA. It's shortly before Bob Backlund loses the belt to the Iron Sheik, who then loses it to Hulk Hogan. Oh. Right before Vince is about to implement his vision of Hulk coming in sports entertainment. The only reason Hulk Hogan won the belt from the Iron Sheik is because Backlund outright refused to lose it to Hogan directly in a rare babyface versus babyface title change. Because Bagley said, I'll lose it to somebody who could, who I believe could legit beat me in a fight because he was a shit-style wrestler. And he was like, I'm not losing to Hogan. And so, uh, Iron Sheik has an amateur wrestling background in his, in his youth and his native uh, Iran. So he's like, fuck it, I'll, I'll, I'll win it for I'll lose it to him. So he only held it for a month. And apparently part of the reason Iron Sheik would go on the years to, to hate Hogan is like, I did the honours for you. But you would never return the favor for anyone else. So fuck you, basically. Mm. Was Aaron well, Sheik's philosophy? We could we could spend an entire year covering on just how much of a fuck nugget Hulk Hogan is. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we've done that before. Yeah, you know. And like Vince has even admitted, if my dad knew what I was going to do with the company, he never would have let me buy it from him. Yeah, he, like if he knew, if you only knew. Eh. <laughs> uh, he must have had an idea before he passed. He must have had a notion. Mm-hmm. And so, like, but buying Hogan, taking Hogan in from when he was at working in the AW, where Hogan, when he was, he came to the WF before, like you said, he was a heel with Friday Classic, Friday Classic, then left, went to the NWA, because Vince Sr. Didn't, apparently didn't see anything in Hulk Hogan at that time. <laughs> and then, while he was in the NWA, he then had that role as Thunderlips in, uh, in Rocky Three, yeah. and that made the name Hulk Hogan a bit more popular. People came to do AWA shows like, "Hey, it's that guy from Rocky Three. Yeah, for what? Whatever reason, Vern Gagne, who was the promoter, kept giving him table shots for the AWA title, but never pulled the trigger and let Hogan be the champion. 
And so Vince then comes around and like, hey Hogan, come on, hey, come back, I'll uh, I'll make you champion. Yeah, I don't think he was even Hulk, technically Hulk Hogan back then. No, he was just Terry. Yeah, like Hogan allegedly gives him the name Hogan. Hogan's like an Irish American name, mm. the same as McMahon. Ah, he wanted to, didn't he want to dye his hair red and make him some Irish fucking muscle man or something? I don't even know about the red hair part, but I think he's like, I want he wanted people to have names that related to different demographics, so that different people from different backgrounds come to shows and say that guy represents me. Yeah, like Pedro Morales appeals to the Latin American kind of market, and Pedro no. Sammartino appealed to the Italian Americans. No, like I say, I'd heard the rumor that back early, early in Hogan's career, that they wanted to dye his hair red and make him something kind of Irish. <laughs> you know, they basically want to make him the fucking W early WWF Sheamus. <laughs> you know, uh, only difference between Hogan and Sheamus is that Sheamus is an actual Irish guy. Hey. Hogan, I don't think, had any Irish in him at all. I don't think anybody watching Hulk Hogan thought, huh, that's an Irish surname, that Hogan. No, Hogan wasn't meant to be, never appealed to the Irish. Hogan's whole gimmick, as it went on, was he's an all-American. You average day Americans, if you work hard enough and say your prayers, eat your rains, can be like me, look at my large arms. Yeah, my 24-inch, my 22 or 24-inch pythons. You know what's ironic? No, uh... No, sorry, I'm not going to tell that story. Like, it's, it's a, it's not a bad story. It's just, it's just, it's not relevant to this. So it's going to take me on another tangent. I've got oh, so much else. Okay. But uh, so Vince then brings the people in from other territories across '83, '84, and then in '85, like Mean Gene Okerlund, uh, Jake Roberts, people like Ricky Steamboat came Rick in. Steamboat. Bobby Heenan was a guy from Minnesota and everything from Minnesota territories. So many big stars would come in. Jesse Ventura. Yes, Ventura, uh, Dave Schultz, who famously slapped that guy on TV who interviewed him for asking him, I think wrestling's fake. Is that fucking fake, fake to you? And then that kind of blackballed his whole career. Even though he allegedly says Bitman told them if, it, the guy, if the guy asked you about fake, fucking prove him otherwise. Uh, and then basically they're like, nah, we're going to wash our hands of you. Uh, 83 is a very interesting year for really Bitman as, he, really as, he's, as he's implementing his, his thing. Because he's bringing people in, allegedly. Well, there's other things that prove that it's kind of true in a way, but the circumstances around it are a bit sketchy in that in 83 and Thanksgiving of 1983 where uh, Flair had held the, had been holding the, the NWT title for 21 months, lost it early in 83 to Harley Race because, and it was felt that uh, Flair's first reign wasn't the best one, and then when he was going to win it back at Starcades, probably that probably kickstarted his career. They even subtitled the show A Flair for the Gold. It was all about <coughs> making... Flair get up to that next level. I think part of the reason that Hulk, that Flair's first reign didn't work out allegedly was uh, a lot of promoters at that time didn't like him as champion because well, Flair is actually the example of the first proper small in wrestling terms champion. Mm. It wasn't very small until he had that plane crash. Yeah, me. but like the idea of like a skinny guy who's more groggy or more of a character, where it's always like you said, like the backlands and the and the bloody San Martino's. The, oh, big no, let's not be. Let's not get over ourselves here. Backlund was not a big guy. Backlund was like a... Backlund looked like a college wrestler. Yeah, basically. You know, whereas I'm talking like big guy, like... Sheik, he mm-hmm. in his prime was a big guy. Yeah. You know, Hogan was a big guy. Savage was a big guy. Warrior was a big guy. So, basically, Vince... Who probably at that point was either not wrestling yet or was the Dingle Warrior. <laughs> so, Vince came in... Jim, Jim, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions are putting on Starcade. 
which is jokingly referred to by people as, oh, it's NWA's or WCW's version of WrestleMania, even though it predates WrestleMania by two years. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it's basically, sorry, Swift and basically went, hmm, they're putting on a show with Holly Race to defend the tail against Ric Flair. Maybe I'll make an offer to Holly Race to come with me and work for me. <laughs> and try to basically lure Holly Race away from the NWA, even with the belt. And supposedly the plan was, he'd come in, drop the belt to Hogan. Hogan wins the WF and then basically like, look, he's got our belt and the NWA belt. Yeah. <laughs> look how great we are. But that didn't happen, obviously. And basically, it was, it's trade that the meeting between Race and... Uh, and McMahon was cordial, and he politely but firmly said, I have too much loyalty to the NWA, I'm not, I can't come in whilst I do I need to honour my commitments. And what did McMahon say to that? Well, McMahon supposedly understood, but then they went to this public kind of bathroom, they were washing their hands, they were both looking at him, and then supposedly Ray says to McMahon, last time looking at her, what do you see? And he McMahon said, I see your reflection. And he said, well, you're going to have to look at that same reflection tomorrow. Basically, as we said, I'm not doing it, and there was a, a rumour went around that Vince tried to attack Race in the bathroom, where Race quickly took him down. Race like, has never said that was the case, but also when asked about it, has never denied it either. Mm. So I'm th- I have a feeling it's one of the stories that maybe didn't happen, but Race likes to pretend it, like, to pretend it did happen. So I think like, the way you're telling it is as if he, does, he, doesn't like to, he doesn't like to be serious about it because he likes to let people just think what they want to think. Mm-hmm. He was like that old suburban dad here, yeah, that old suburban dad that did him, like much like Anarasa, that old suburban dad who seems very cordial, but if you pissed him off or fucked with anyone close to him, he'd be like, I'm going to fuck you up. And also apparently, uh, Race, I don't know if he did this intentionally to rile people up, but I don't know how many people knew about his meeting with McMahon, but apparently he didn't show up to Starcade until 5pm the day of... <laughs> basically to wrap to put the shitters up everybody. No, like, oh no, is he, is he went, oh no, he signed with him, no. Oh, pish. And then, oh, beginnings of a, a set of events in 83 would then lead to an event in 84, which I can sum up in two words. Black Saturday. Are you familiar with Black Saturday? No. Black Saturday is a very interesting event, and also can be pinpointed as the moment where Vince McMahon and Ted Turner started their bad blood as well. Oh. So, here, gather around, children, I'm about to tell you a tale. But a tangled web that was about to be weaved here. Tangled web of mental gayness. Yes, the mental territory shape. So basically, Georgia Championship Wrestling, or as I'll, I'll currently refer to as GCW. GCW. Not, not, to, not to be confused with the current GCW, which is the Violent Deathmatch Wrestling Company. GCW. 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 But GCW had a program called World Championship Wrestling. It was the name of its TV show. Time. Remember that, and okay. they and they'd been running on this little small TV station since like the fifties, and then about the seventies, uh, that TV station got got bought out by Ted, Ted Turner, Turner, who was a big fan of the the wrestling, and so he and made he was sh- a, he was not a wrestling fan, he was a wrestling fan. I started building up this started building up this like kind of media ball under like the TBS and TNT banner. He always made sure on TBS that there was still wrestling, there was still like, studio wrestling, and he was always favorable to these like territory wrestling companies. And so Georgetown Wrestling got up through like the expansion of this uh, station they were on. It was now owned by Turner. Their program in the Atlanta and Midwest, Midwest United States region got an extra 24,000 viewers. So their their extent, their viewership was growing and they were almost getting a little bit of what Vince was wanting, this yeah, national yeah. expansion. And uh, so McMahon, around about that time, was starting to uh, try and buy out TV slots and other territories and 
even trying to get the money to buy other territories, like so we could get their talent and kind of yeah, the he, very thing he told his daddy he wasn't going to do. Like he started as he was starting his relationship with the USA Network, which he would go on for many years, and that's where Raw is even today. Yeah, yeah. So he, he Southwest <laughs> Championship Wrestling was having some issues with the uh, with the USA Network. First off, they were having issues meeting their payments, and also there was a match involving Tully Blanchard that was so bloody that apparently USA Network basically said like. We're not showing this match. Yeah, like, we're not... Can you view that match online? I don't know. I'd have to look that up. We'll have to. If it's not bloody, my, it might be I'll good. Do, I'll do my homework on that. But they were on a they were on Sunday morning, so I think that's also a reason why they were like, no, we're not showing this in the morning. It's like, kids will watch this shit, man. That didn't seem to stop the attitude era. Well, no. But they weren't on Sunday mornings. Anyway, no. So heat or velocity was on a Sunday, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, nobody's bleeding on fucking heat. It's not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not worth it to bleed on this shit show. So basically, Vince came on and went, oh, they can't be, right? Here's some money. My wrestlers don't bleed, have some money. Have some money, look, beautiful money. I don't know if those are exact words, but I like to think they were. Do you think he went, nyahaha? No, he twisted no, his no. imaginary twisty moustache, went, nyahaha. No, Vince did his big story, Vince like, ha, ha, ha. I'm Vince McMahon. I'm it. Vince McMahon, and they don't have money. I have money. Have some money. So then he would debut a new show in that time slot called All American Wrestling. Ugh. And then later on in, in the USC, they were growing, they'd, they'd launch Tuesday Night Titans as well. Ooh. Which also had, am I not mistaken, much like Prime Time Wrestling, also had kind of like a talk show format, like there was two hosts of it, and then they cut to matches. Yeah. Which again shows why Vince, how Vince's program was different. It was, yeah, there's entertainment, and then here's some wrestling. <laughs> All mixed together in a nice, happy little pot. Yes. So, uh, Vince then started running uh, shows in kind of the Ohio area, which was a GCW territory. Ohio. Uh-huh. And the main booker of it was Ollie Anderson, who's uh, not a man who you want to piss off because he'll be a, a very angry man. Yeah, he's, does he have a short fuse? Oh, he had a very short fuse. So he was... Because apparently if you oh, want to run... dead? I think he may be no longer with us. I feel like he must be well old if he's still with oh, us. Oh, he's dead, you know. <laughs> oh, doesn't, really? he look, doesn't he look so young? He's dead, you know. <laughs> anyway. But, huh? but like, he... It was a case of, like, oh, if you want, if you want to show, but that's something else to you got to, you know, you got to talk to the guy, you got to mission, you know what, Take your or run the same night as someone else, or yeah, you don't, don't want to step on other promoters' toes. But Vince didn't give a fuck about it, yeah. like, and so there was a, there was always a national every year. There was an NWA convention. All the promoters would come together at this convention, <laughs> and in nineteen eighty three, the show was the convention was being held in Vegas. And I actually read a little bit about this. Oh, do tell. I read a little bit about this in Bret Hart's autobiography because Bret Hart went to this convention in eighty three with his dad Stu because Stampede was technically part of the NWA. Yeah. So Bret was there. Well, Brett's version of things, anyway. But Brett was, but Brett was there, and, and he was sitting with his dad in a big meeting with all his promoters. Vince was apparently there, and all uh, he got up and was yelling at Vince, and like this guy has no respect. How dare you come into my territory and all that shit? But what Brett was saying, that, no, 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 all he was saying this. Oh, all he was saying, saying that. That. right, right. And supposedly there was always stories when Vince was cutting a deal with territory where promoters could be overheard in little hurls like. What are we gonna do about this Vince McMahon? Like, which I don't. I know I shouldn't laugh about it, but yeah, it I makes heard me, rumor it, was they were planning on killing him. Allegedly, allegedly. Yeah. But like, I've even heard like 
It makes me think of like when Homer gets into the sugar game, like, sure, I won't fit in with the country called those snaz, sitting around like, what's to be done about this Homer Simpson? <laughs> like, sure, I may not fit in in the NWA, those southern wrestling from us around. What's, what's to, to be, be done, done about this Vince McMahon? McMahon? <laughs> I'll tell you what can be done. Nothing. <laughs> well, where'd you get those talent? I stole it from your territory when you weren't looking, and I do it again. <laughs> Well, this Twisty is, mustache. This is a Bret, Bret Hart quote. Sorry if the audio can find I'm trying to read this here. Uh, this is a quote from Bret. He was sitting there with his dad while all this chaos and people were yelling. Okay. Bret says, and I quote, Everyone started arguing and there was cries of order. <laughs> and then Paul coughed. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm healthy. I'm healthy. I'm good. I'm pushing through it, man. So there, Ow, my ribs. It, there were cries of order. Then Vince stood up amongst the com- then Vince stood up amongst the commotion and simply walked out. That moment, I knew I was seeing I was witnessing the beginning of the end of promoters like my dad and regional territories such as Stampede, though none of us <sighs> realised it at the time. So Brett's basically implying like basically like, everybody knew like there's no stopping the guy like Vincent Mann <laughs> at this stage. Well, at least that point in his book is probably true, you know, because I mean, you know, nobody could at that point stop Vince. At that uh, so at that meeting, Vince officially says, "I'm with, we are withdrawing from the NW, which means now that he's no longer in the NW, Philip is like, I don't need to ask Oleana's permission. I have no loyalty to you or any other NWA territory. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Basically. This is business, bitch. Yeah, this is business. Business, business. But also, at the at the time, Jim Barnett, who's kind of the, the owner of, uh, was kind of the operator of uh, GCW and that, <laughs> He was almost like forced out of the company by Ole Anderson after the screen where Ole uh, accused Jim of like stealing money from the company, which Jim has denied. Yeah. And so Jim, in secret, starts working with McMahon and helping him expand into Ohio. Helping, ah. him, helping him sway small stations in Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio to show the WWF instead of GCW. And then went to the horror arena and basically got them to sign a little uh, exclusive deal to run shows for the WWF in that arena. Cool. Making wrestling shows. And then they started promoting big cars in that uh, in that territory in Ohio and across Dayton and uh, Cincinnati with, with Andre the Giant, who was a big big draw in those, still in those days as the yeah. headliner. Yeah. So they started cutting in on, uh, on DCW. And then Vince went to Ted Turner and basically said, you know, oh, how about, you know, you give you know me, the WWF, you give us that World Championship Wrestling, you know, two hour time slot on TBS on a Saturday night. Which Ted Turner basically went, No. <laughs> Ted Turner no. Ted Turner just outwardly <clears throat> said no. And Vince did not like to be told no. No. No, 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 no. And this would begin begin the bad blood between those two, but also at the same time two men who had stayed Do you think it was a case of like, Oh yeah? Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> hey, fuck you, buddy. I'm not your buddy guy. I'm not your guy, friend. But basically, Ted Turner like preferred seemed to prefer the more southern wrestling and didn't really like McMahon's kind of vision of wrestling. So like, no, I'm I've got this loyalty to these people who've been on our, my network for so long. I'm gonna stick with them. No, thank you. I'm new. You can take your WDF and fuck off. Yeah, fuck you, buddy. But also, apparently, the Briscoe brothers, Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Uh, had some stake in the company and they were working many scenes as well as competing on TV and they also apparently were not big fans of Ollie Anderson he kind of seemed to alienate a lot of people because he was a big prick yeah basically 
And so, as much as the prick as he comes across as all the and this bit does seem a bit shitty. All the had to take some time away to deal with family business because his mother had passed away. Oh. Uh, and then, as he's away, Vince meets in secret with uh, Jerry, with Jack and Jerry Briscoe. Originally, apparently, he talked to Jack Briscoe apparently to do a business that wasn't related to this, but then somehow the conversation gets on to how, mu- how would you and your brother feel about sharing, selling your shares in GCW to me? So, like, if I can't buy the time slot the territory's on, I'm going to buy the territory. Yeah. And so he met with Barnett and the Briscoe brothers, and they sold their shares of GCW to Vince for $900,000. Wow, that's cheap. He bought, he bought it for $900,000, and Barnett tried to counter sue and say that because he was also a stake in it and you know, wasn't privy, they didn't offer to sell their shares to another shareholder. But, like, they, while meeting with Vince, basically weighed that right, so... Only had no claim to that, so yeah. it, was like, it was legally riding. And so then, he towed it from underneath them, basically. And then Ollie was offered as many promoters would be when they were at, or high up people in territories when Vince would buy them out, would basically be like offered jobs with him, mainly working at backstage as agents and some such, or working particularly in helping promote in the areas that they used to promote in. So, and apparently, Ollie basically outright turned it down. And then there was this incident where the story where Ollie's walking in the corridor, Vince and Linda are walking towards him, and Vince tries to shake his hand and talk to him, talk, try to cross with him, and Ollie apparently turned to Vince and went, fuck you, and then apparently turned to Linda and said, fuck you, and apparently Vince had a case of like, you basically told my wife to say fuck you. Yeah, like, fuck, you, fuck me, fine, but don't fucking say it to my wife. And basically, t- Coley looked at Ollie and said, You'll never work again. Like, I'm gonna <laughs> fucking destroy you, cunt. There's a lot of Mickey, a lot of Mickey Pearson from the Gentleman in that exchange, isn't there? Like, I don't care about me, but you, you, you my you, wife. Uh, you disrespect my wife, basically. My, my wife, who I would go on to cheat on. Vince, that is not Mickey. Mickey. But it's a principle. Yeah, the principle. It's principle. The thing is, like, you disrespect my wife, I'm going to ruin you and your territory, cunt. So the day known as Black Saturday is July fourteenth, nineteen eighty four, when viewers, of, regular viewers of GCW's World Championship Wrestling, are perplexed to see their usual host, then hand over to. We like to welcome the WWF, then hand over to Vince McMahon, who then threw to a random match with uh, a couple of WWF wrestlers versus some jobbers. So. Turner was annoyed about it, but Vince had bought the territory and not the time slot, so Turner was a bit annoyed, but like, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You can't remove them from the time slot, they own the company. But there was an agreement where Vince would produce a certain amount of studio wrestling and keep that on the show. And Vince did show some, doubt, some studio wrestling, but as it went on, there was fear and fear of it, and more thrown to matches that were taped. Uh, a WF live event in New York or Philadelphia. Yeah. And Vince like, oh, well. Slowly but surely, uh, WWF it creeped to being completely WWF programming. Well, well, Vince was like, oh, well, you know, the crowds of these shows that we're showing from our live events are a bit more livelier than your studio audience. So yeah. that was his justification for it. But like, it was a case of like, when it was, uh, when it was, in, well, the few matches was in studio, it was more like regular guys versus like enhancement talent. Yeah. So it wasn't basically despite what Vince's arguments, it wasn't basically as much studio wrestling as Turd Turner would like and basically they both had two opposing viewpoints. Yeah. Shall we say. Mm-hmm. And also the case of the fact that the ratings for GCW under under Vince McMahon, I almost said Triple H, but under Vince McMahon, pretty much went down the toilet. The ratings were going down and Vince was 
arrogant. Given enough time, people will get used to it and they'll learn to like it. Look, so, they'll learn to like it. Fuck them. And so, Terry are like, hmm, I can't take the territory off, but I can fuck with them in, on my own network. So he went to Bill Watts and his Mid-South Wrestling and went, how would you like a Sunday afternoon slot on my network? <laughs> and then went to Ole Anderson, who, well, you'll love this bit of creativity, he, he got ousted from Georgia Championship Wrestling, and he went on to found the creatively titled Championship Wrestling from Georgia. That's, yeah. that's fucking creativity right there. Well done, Ollie. Come on, that was just a case of, like, well, fuck him. I'll, I don't care what it's called. Fuck him. That's the worst comment of, is this, a, this is a Judean people's front. Fuck off. But it's a Judean people's front of Judea. Judean people's front. Splitters. Is this Georgia Championship Wrestling? Fuck off. Or Championship Wrestling from Georgia. Fucking Georgia. Championship Wrestling from Georgia. No, Georgia Championship Wrestling. <laughs> Splitters! So basically, then he went to Ole Anderson, because obviously WWF and World Championship Wrestling are on Saturday night. So I went, okay, so Ole, you're going to be on Saturday mornings, and Bill Watts is on Sunday uh, sa- Sunday afternoon. So basically, they were bridging Vincent Mann's big time slots, and worse than that, for Vince, they were beating him in the ratings. Yeah. And so Vince is starting to lose money. But Vince has got a big business venture in 1985 he needs a lot of money for, which we're going to get to. Yeah. And so, like, hmm, I need to get out of this. I don't I don't need this financial burden on myself. I need to sell this company. And so he indirectly would help a bit, help his future competition in this sense. Because then, through help with Barnett, he would set up a meeting between him and current NWA president uh, Jim Crockett Jr., Ooh. head of Jim Crockett Promotions. Oh. And would sell the company and the TV rights and everything like that to him for a million dollars. So then Jim Crockett Promotions owned the name World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. And then under Ted Turner, after Jim Crockett would help buy a couple of remaining territories under him in the NWA, would then help reform the company from Jim Crockett Promotions into World Championship, Championship Wrestling. Who then would have a Ted Turner who didn't like Vince and tried to basically fuck him out of who could basically cause Vince to have to sell the company in the first place behind them and remain loyal to promoting World Championship Wrestling, which leads in later years that we'll get to a different part of the show, yeah, yeah. a different uh, part of this retrospective, to World Championship Wrestling and Nitro. So that starts the bad blood between Turner and Vince. And apparently, Vince tells Crockett, once they sign the deal for $1 million, basically still says to uh, Crockett, you will choke on that million uh, a very bitter man basically annoyed that he's had to fucking sell he, it. he's had to blink first and he's had to fucking back out of everything yeah. but apparently Vince as again talked about in uh, Brett's book because Vince did end up buying Stampede Wrestling and basically said like the whole like, standard deal was you know he would offer and st- first to buy the, the territory rather than run against them because he knew that if he ran against the particular territory more often than not the WWF would win yeah. Fuck over and cost the people a lot of money. Well, this way, the uh, the, the territory got some money. They would sign some wrestlers. who would get bigger exposure. And every so often, some people working behind the scenes, or even the promoters themselves, who they're buying the company from, would get offered per, uh, producer agent roles in WABF working in the markets. Like so, I, th- I can't remember the amount, but it was a big amount of money, especially for that type year that Stu was offered, plus a little percentage of whenever WABF came to Canada and yeah. that in that region. And apparently, he wanted. He was very interested in Brett. Anvil and the Bulldogs. Initially, the Bulldogs said no because they had a deal with Japan. But yeah. eventually, the Bulldogs did go over, and Finn and Brett was interested in going over. Apparently, he also offered Bruce Hart an agent role. Yeah. But Bruce turned him down. And uh, Bruce would turn him down, 
and basically be one of the few people angry is that like why are you selling Scopey? No, we sh- you shouldn't sell stampedes and everything. And whatever everyone else is like, no, he needs to get, he's like, and, he's, and apparently Brett's mum was elated with the offer. He's like, she'd been begging Stu to get arrested for fucking years at that point. Yeah. And so, Vince, so Stu was kind of happy to kind of get out of it by that point. Where, but at this point, Brett really paints a sour picture of Bruce Hart in this, but allegedly Bruce tried to get people when they, were, when they had the final stampede show before they were officially sold. Bruce tried to tell, get wrestlers to boycott the show. Ugh. And even when they tried to reboot Stampede a few times to run against the WF in Canada, to which point, like, there was a point where Brett tells story where an agent would come up to him who knew kind of the Brett family, Brett, the Hart family, and would say, like, what is this about your brother reforming Stampede and trying to run against him? Like, I don't know anything about it. He thought his dad and, he, and Bruce and Bruce would deny it and then get evidence that, and then get find, and then later on, evidence would present about this was happening. Yeah. And, like, Basically, Brett was annoyed, like, not only are you doing this, which is goes against the deal that our dad signed so he could re- finally retire, but you fucking lied to me about it. Yeah. Which basically goes to show why there's so much battle between Bruce Hart and Bret Hart. Well, I understand that, but let's not be coy here. You know, there's a lot of bad blood between Brett and everyone. Pretty much, yeah. Brett doesn't like anyone. Mm. Because they all done him bad. And what would our discussion about... I know I went to 84, but we need to go back to 83, because what would our discussion of 83 be without our talk of, invo- of Vince's involvement and the Jimmy Snooker cover-up? Oh, that with Nancy... Uh, Argentina. Argentina. Who yeah. fell. Yeah, she fell and smacked her head against the sink. Mm. Violent yeah. enough to put her into a coma and kill her. Yeah. You know, that... Yeah, totally... So, Jimmy Snooker before this was a big name in the WWF. Huge name. Yeah. Impossible, possible heading towards a title run. Yeah. And then, oh, Vince, Vince Jr. is now in charge of the company well, when this happens. Snooker's an original story, which then we go on and change, which is where the, the suspicion would come from initially. Yeah. It was like, oh, Nancy was walking towards the car, we stopped her wrist, she slipped on some ice, she hit her head, and then she was kind of fuzzy. She went to sleep when we got to the hotel, she never woke up and then he would change his story and then he would say that they were wrestling, play wrestling in the hotel, she hit fell. And like, the Dark Side of the Ring really paints a picture of like, you watch the Dark Side of the Ring thinking like, maybe they'll point some new evidence, you watch the Dark Side of the Ring like, that motherfucker's guilty. Yeah, he killed that woman. Yeah. Like Dave Chappelle jokes about seeing, uh, meeting uh, O.J. Simpson backstage at a comedy show after he was acquitted of the murder of his wife. I've seen that. And then as soon as he leaves the, the room, all the comedians apparently turn to each other and went, that motherfucker did that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the vibe I get when I watch this, watch that documentary. Oh, no, I'm totally the same. I've watched that one and it's quite clear that Snooker was a coked up violent cycle. Like one of the weirdest moments in this is when the Tonga kids who was, like, def- one of the biggest defenders of, of Snooker throughout the documentary, inadvertently, in his in his own way, uh, inadvertently basically proves that Snooker did do it, because Snooker said that Tonka was in the car with him, which he was, and then when Nancy slipped, and basically said to Tonka, did she fall in that rest stop? He went, no. He kind of almost seems confused why they're asking him about it. Yeah. So even though he's been one of the biggest defenders, like, I don't like to believe that he could just because he did so much for me all my career and my life and everything, his family to me, he almost inadvertently basically helps shine a first hole in Snooker's story, which signs the idea like, 
He definitely fucking did this. He definitely fucking abused that Jack and killed him. Yep, yes, he did. And you know, you know, it's this crying shame when you really think about it. Like, in essence, got away with it. Mhm, mhm. Yeah. I mean, as he as he talked about in the WWE anymore. Yeah. Not really. Mm-hmm. And what did what did they call his daughter? They used to call her Tamina Snooker. Mhm. They would just call her Tamina. Tamina. And that's it. Uh, we occasionally, we occasionally reference a lineage. I think the most they ever reference it is when they do the like when she ever she does the splash. Yeah. They still called the Superfly Splash. Yeah, they reference it in that sense, but they don't directly mention him. Like when we we talked about Fully Loaded recently on on Rogue Pains, and like when when before uh, Rikishi does the dive off the cage, he does like the Superfly like hand yeah, he does the hands as a tribute to when Snooker did the dive off the cage yeah. back in the day. But like Snooker, not really coincidentally. Starts going down the card, if anything. He's still a big attraction, but he's going down the card after this incident because, like, I'm keeping you around, but I can't push you in all consciousness because new evidence might come out. You know, you'll just be the first victim to The Undertaker at WrestleMania. Well, he's famous for that. Yeah, but then, but then there's also the story about Vince. I talk about his involvement where there's a story where Vince went into a police station, he had a big briefcase with him. Comes out with Snooker, doesn't have the briefcase no more. No. What was in the briefcase? It just reminds me of like uh, that scene in Simpsons. Well, okay, still opens the briefcase. Mary Quimby pops in. Did I hear a uh, briefcase opening? Look, Smithers. The very stupid man and all the money are still here. <laughs> just take it, take it. <laughs> I mean, watching that dark side, also what's, what's clear is the guy, they talk to the guy who's like in charge of the police in that area at that time of the investigation. And like, you watch him, like, could you, you are. You are so close to being a Chief Wiggum levels of incompetence. Yeah, but, like I say, trying to excuse Jimmy Snooker in that regard is... Mm. Like, trying to excuse another person in another regard. Yes. You know, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because I know, I know in that situation, there's still people to this day uh-huh. that, oh no, that, would, that couldn't have happened, that person couldn't have done that, but it's quite clear that that person did that. And with Jimmy Snooker, it's quite clearly evident that he beat and murdered his girlfriend. I've, I've heard snippets of interviews and hear people talking about her, uh, that supposedly Tamina, lovely woman apparently, very lo- very well liked, you know, yeah, that's why yeah. she's been around, but like, she's the best wrestler, but she's apparently very well liked. And I can't imagine, even though he, d- he probably, definitely, probably did, th- did this. Probably, definitely, probably did this. Allegedly. Don't uh, sue me. Allegedly. 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 But like you can't, I can't imagine, especially when it got we when it got brought up again in the last decade or so, the kind of messages she must have gotten from people saying all sorts of things about her father in the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Which whether or not he did do this, did allegedly. Uh, like it's still a hard thing for you to kind of wrap, try and wrap your hand <laughs> the idea of your parent being or someone close to you being capable of potentially doing what he's accused of definitely doing. No, you've got, you've got, you know, you've got Tamina. <laughs> You've got other people in that event, like David Benoit. Uh-huh. You know, he's 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 a guy who's really doing his damnedest to make a career for himself, but he still has that stigma. I I've never cringed more than when I heard the story of someone coming up to David Benoit at a convention and accidentally thinking his name was Daniel. Oh, like, fuck. I, I, like I would like if I was that person, I'd be I like, would have punched myself in the face. I'd be like ground open up, swallow me whole. I don't want to be here no more. Yeah. But from what you know, watching that dark side on 
on that. Yeah. He seems like such a nice guy. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that David, but he seems like such. But you can obviously tell he's a very broken man, but a very but, nice man. Like, you know. You know. Yeah. But did, didn't he actually? Didn't he fight against or tag with Pillman's kid? I don't know. I think he does want to get into wrestling, though. I'm sure David Benoit is in wrestling. He is. He has been training at least. Yeah, I'm sure he's in it. And I, the only thing I heard that maybe a little bit of a cringe for him, and it's sort of like, ugh, he's adamant he wants to be able to use his dad's music. And he's and the name like he wants to be like Chris Benoit Junior. Yeah, what he wants to use, he wants to use his dad's name and music and focus on his wrestling legacy. But yeah. you know, like. Well, that's a pipe dream because that ain't gonna happen. A nice ending to that bit Benoit documentary was the fact that, uh, like, Nancy's sister is interviewed a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, he, her, and David became a bit of a strange, but strange. But then, Chris, thanks to Chris Jericho in twenty twenty one, they kind of got back together. Yeah, and yeah. Then, I thought it was cool. Got pay per view together and everything. Means she went together. Yeah, which was nice. I thought that was a really nice end to that. It's cool. But yeah, like basically the idea, like there's already a fair share of controversy there, and Vince is starting to yeah. buy up people and territory and TV time, and then Vince is like, I want to, what's the next step in my career expansion? And he gets start starts to get a TV connection thanks to Lou Albana being in Cindy Lauper's video because Cindy Lauper also a big fan of wrestling. I don't know if she still is, but you know, but I don't know if you've seen the clips of uh, bloody Becky Lynch and on that show Young Rock playing Cindy Lauper. I just knew she played her. She's pretty good. From what I've seen, she's pretty you know, good. What was Cindy Lauper? A wee mental redhead? What's what's Becky Lynch? We mental redhead? She's got that fucking I think it's a Jersey accent. She's Ugh. got that Jersey accent. Like for somebody who I'm used to seeing with that very rich Irish accent, seeing her pull that off, like what, what, fair do fair do to you, Becky, fair do. Most definitely. Most definitely. That's one thing to hear about having been no well, like especially when it's to do with my nose. Whenever I breathe in I'm look I sound like I'm taking a massive line. Well, uh, Aye. Well, probably like what Vince was probably doing a lot of the time. Well, like back well, in the annoying days. thing I have at the moment is that my my left nostril <laughs> is closed, and my right nostril mm-hmm. is practically closed. So, oh yeah, what you mean? But the one that's fucking like, I can't breathe through it is the one that keeps running. Yeah. So, but I should mention it's like uh, in the it's before Vince. Vince actually has both his children before he buys the WWF. I should mention that. Yeah. Yeah, both, both Shane. Shane was born 15th of January 1970. Ah, he's old. He's like 52, I think. And Stephanie was born 24th of September 1976. Nah, she's kind of old too. She's uh, 46. Ah, she's older than me. What's weird, because like, they talk about wrestling in that documentary I was talking about, and uh, <sighs> when they talk about Vince getting the idea, like, oh, we were on holiday with our son Shane at the time, so I said, like, oh, it was only Shane they had at the time. Like, no, Stephanie was around, like, so did you just bugger off on holiday without Stephanie one time? She didn't want to go. Who knows? Yeah. Vince gets this idea to do a big super show, which we now know as WrestleMania. Yeah. Which had some a different a few different names. It was at one point going to be called The Colossal Tussle. Good Christ. Because they'd done some special way on TV like The War to Settle the Score, which... We did a big match with Brett with uh, no with Brody Piper and Hogan, yeah. and the uh, the brawl to end it all <laughs> was Ooh. another special. So they wanted to fit in that. At one point, it was going to be called Hulkamania. Because when you think about it, the other WrestleManias, are all about fucking Hulk Hogan. So. Yeah, well, what the first eight of them? Yeah, at least. 
uh, even the one where Ryan Savage wins the end, Hogan has to be there. Like, look at I'm still here. I'm look at me. Yeah, look, I'm Hogan. Yeah. Mm. No wonder Randy Savage wanted to punch your hole in. Yeah, bold. But stories go. It was Howard Finkel that suggested the name WrestleMania. Big oh, yourself, Fink. Big Howard Finkel. Big Howard, man. Oh, rest well, Big Howard. Uh, rest in peace, man. Howard. Well, Howard Finkel. Really want to do a show about him one day. I'd love to do a show about Howard. I think we were going to do Howard, Howard is the. And this is a wee dig at Miss Wave Our Hair about. Howard is the real est, the best est. <laughs> The fucking song est, the bold est. <laughs> he is the best est. <laughs> Big Howard. I love Howard. That you know, she is the shit est, the worst est. That's plenty. The crappy est. That's plenty. The annoying est. Shut up. She's crap. <laughs> I don't know how to But, uh, I'm ill, I've got a right to be hateful. Oh, fuck you. Uh, anyway, that was into you, no her. Oh, you're a bitch, bitch. You're a bitch. I know. Bitch. They <laughs> <laughs> don't think this is how our binge rage event was going to start. Anyway, uh, it hasn't started already. Oh, well, I mean, I'm talking about this is the first part of it. I know, I know. I'm kidding. I will punch you. I'm punch. kidding. This will come to fisticuffs. <laughs> you wouldn't. You'd have my glasses on, would you? I would. I really had glasses. I smacked in several times. You cruel fuck. Haha. But also, can I talk about briefly? This is a weird tangent, but it's to do with Vince. But supposedly, whenever that when that Vince biopic was suggested, a script or parts of a script went online, and supposedly, according to the script, there was meant to be a scene of Vince with Linda and uh, Jason Ventura. It was going to be a big thing of how they were kind of, Vince was toying over the stage, like, I'm taking over, I want to go national. Do I stick with Backlund or do I go with, with Hulk Hogan? Which I think is one of those over ground type things, like, I don't think it was a hard decision for him to go with fucking Hulk Hogan. No. Because by the time West America comes around, he's already been champion for a year. Uh, Let's be fair, he was champion for the first eight WrestleManias. Most of the first eight WrestleManias, some of them he wouldn't walk into, but he would walk out as champion. Like, right. it wasn't the champion, they didn't walk in or walk out of WrestleMania 4, which other than, which is the only good thing about that WrestleMania. Throughout the 80s, Hogan was the champ. Pretty Apart much. Apart from brief time with Macho. Warrior. And a wee well with Warrior. But then again, Warrior was 1990, 1990 was it? Yeah, and then 1991, uh, he lost it to Slaughter, but then Hogan won it from out. And then Undertaker came on, we've covered that before. Yeah, yeah, and then Undertaker won, and Hogan bitched about his poor neck, even though it didn't even touch the chair, you cunt. You balding, lying fuck nugget. Yeah. Anyway, Hogan, uh, but Vince apparently put a lot in this, like, that, remember the time he got that million dollars, he needed all that money because he was putting a lot of money into this, like, at Madison Square Garden, all these celebrities, like, you had Cindy Lauper, Muhammad Ali, who we mentioned there. Liberace. Like, I was guessing, Liberace. Andrew Lloyd Webber was there. And if you see him getting interviewed in that show, he doesn't look like he knows where the fuck he is. He never did. No. Uh, I think there's a few other celebrities from that day. But yeah, he had Cindy Lauper accompanying Wendy Richter for her match and everything. And apparently Vince, it's even said he mortgaged his house to make sure it was So, like, even had a big talent meeting the day of the show, basically went, basically, like, in case of, like, it's a no-pressure thing. I mean, like, 
No pressure, lad. But you know, company, they make this work because the phone are fucked. The company, company's fucked. I'm fucked if this doesn't go well. So you know, no days at all, No pressure. Eh? And also, apparently, I think Hogan and, and Mr. T were knackered because the night before they hosted Saturday Night Live. Yeah, they, yeah. They did the show live, went out with the cast afterwards, as was tradition with the host, and then got like a few hours sleep. Came came for an early call time. Apparently, Hogan was put in charge of Mr. T because Mr. T he had some back and forth with Piper and was worried that Piper would like shit on him. And so Hogan was like was told keep a fucking eye on T. Make sure he doesn't try and bail on this shit. Make sure he doesn't piss off Piper enough so Piper kills him. Oh no, they were worried that Mr. T would try and pull out the show ah. through fears of Piper you know, shitting on him. <laughs> so that was weird. But then, of course, as we know it, the WrestleMania went ahead. It was a success, obviously. Yeah. But... When, In, interesting you mentioned Piper, well, because he was known to shoot on people if he had that shoe with him. But what's interesting about it is a concept that was fairly new thing was pay-per-view. And WrestleMania 1 was not a pay-per-view. It was not a pay-per-view? It was like closed-circuit TV. Ah. Uh, but the first pay-per-view would be later on in 85. It was the Wrestling Classic. Uh, let me talk to you about the Wrestling Classic, shall I? Yeah, please do. It took place on November 7th, 1985. Rosemont Horizon in Illinois. Not 85? Old. Yes. Wow. Later on that year. It was, a, it was just a... It's just a one night. It's just a t- uh, show made about one then. It was a show made of a giant fucking tournament, basically. So it was basically a little proto king of the ring. Aye, well, so like Hogan was on the undercard defeating Piper for the title by disqualification. So there was a big gold tournament. Let me run you through these matches. There are fifteen fucking matches. So basically, it's like WrestleMania four, but with one less match. Yeah. So Adrian Adonis defeats Corporal Krishner. Dynamite Kid defeats Nikolai Volkov. Brandon Savage defeats Ivan Putski. Ricky Steamboat defeats Davey Boy Smith by forfeit. Yeah. And Junkyard Dog defeats uh, Iron Sheep. Moondog. Moondog's bot. I've never fucking heard of him. Defeats Terry Funk. You ever, you ever heard of that wrestler who died in the ring at Jerry Lawler's thing? No, i never heard of this. Oh, well, that's Moondog's bot. Fucking hell. He was he was a uh, he was in his fifties or something. And he was he was in the corner, and then and then he had a heart issue, and then he died in the ring. Fucking hell, that's bleak. Yeah, it's bleak whenever you hear about any performer dying when they're doing their craft. But yeah, yeah Moon Moondog Spot died is known for being a famous territory wrestler and dying in the ring at Jerry Lawler's special wrestling event. Uh, so then, moving on with the first round, we had. Tito Santana defeat the Magnificent Morocco and Paul Under defeat Paul Wharton by disqualification. Quarterfinal. Then Mike Kidd defeats Adrian Adonis, Randy Savage defeats Ricky Steamboat, Junkyard Dog defeats Moondog Spot, and uh, by pinfall. And then there's a double count out for Tito Santana v Paul Ondorf, which means Randy Savage has a semi final match, but Junkyard Dog doesn't. Randy Savage defeats Dynamite Kid and then goes on to lose to Junkyard Dog in the finals by count out. <laughs> Wow, okay. Well, that was really worth a full fucking tournament, wasn't it, for Hell Randy? Yeah, yeah, Randy, totally. Randy losing nine minutes via fucking count out. Yeah. Not nothing against the Junkyard Dog, but it was fucking by count out for God's sake. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, then pay per view came into a thing which helped Vince as well. And also, over that time, he made friends with a young NBC executive who NBC Universal also owns the USA Network. A young NBC Universal with the name <sighs> Dick Eversall. Dick Eversall. Yes. Who would also 
or going to go into business with Vince with other failed business ventures, but he made a deal with Vince which led to the beginnings of Saturday night's main event. Ooh. Even though there were some TV sets who were skeptical about it, to care was all like no asked implored them to take a chance. And so they put on the first Saturday night's main event, which I think also had uh, Hogan and MSRT in the main event spot. Yeah. I think Piper was there as well. Uh, and it was successful and they'd run annually. I think it was the fourth or fifth Saturday night's main event which features the infamous Rockers match where they won the tails but didn't win the titles. Yeah. Kind of thing. Even though they fucking should have. Yep. If that fucking Jim Knight had just fucked off like he was supposed to do. Eh? So, we had that. Then WrestleMania 2 comes around. Not many people really still talk about WrestleMania 2 mainly because the whole idea turns out of doing WrestleMania across three fucking locations. Lo and behold, bad idea. Yeah, gonna put something to ease in my mind here. Was there ever a WWF event, an early WWF event, where Gorilla Monsoon actually wrestled? I don't know. I think by this point he'd already he'd already retired. I think just because you know that early that that WrestleMania where it had all the football stars and things. Yeah, that'd be WrestleMania too. Yeah, I'm sure Monsoon. No, no, I'm pretty sure he was on commentary. By that he was point, on commentary yeah. by that point. Yeah. Really? So when did he? I don't Stop know. in ring with late seventies. Must have been. I think he was already coming because, like, if he was hosting that show, that uh, wrestling show that I mentioned earlier on, yeah, uh, All Star Wrestling, I think it was with with uh, Jason Ventura by Eat Two. I suppose. Then he must have retired at some point in the seventies. Then. I suppose. Uh, really enough, I think there was three different commentary teams for the different parts. I think the part, the the section that got the Hogan. Bundy Cage match, I think one of the commentators was actually Lord Alfred Hayes. Yeah. Doing this kill. I liked him. Whoever so often wrestles were referred to as your lordship when they yeah, were being interviewed by him. Your lordship. Yeah. And then I think if, there was other things I want to talk about this first part, but we went very long on this and we are we are confined to do many, many parts of this. We are. And hope, hopefully by the time we do the next part I'll be in a hell of a lot better form. As you mentioned Vince before going on that documentary I was talking about did say that promoters did fun his dad when he was initially taking other starting to go into other territories and taking some talent basically being like hey Vince like your fucking kid have like, a word with your boy but then he said his dad kind of saw that his son was being successful and so kind of let it slide but I think Vince would have liked his dad to have seen the Wrestlemania because his dad sadly died in 84 yeah how long, how long before WrestleMania did he die? I will look that up in a minute. I am not. I'm definitely not stalling while I look this up. No, not at all. Filling the data. But Vince does say when he's in there right now. There's that moment at WrestleMania three where he's like, "Welcome to WrestleMania three. Welcome, that club there. Welcome to WrestleMania." It's always using video packages. You know, Vince also talks about when he's in the ring for that moment. He was thinking about his dad at that point. Yeah. And he was there in the ring in front of all those people and everything. I want to end on WrestleMania three because it's like the first proper stadium WrestleMania. Yeah, like, the first proper big. Was it ninety eight thousand or something? Yeah, well, 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 they say ninety three thousand. I think it was the the rumor is that it's actually closer to seventy eight thousand. Oh, yeah. It was still a big number. Still I think, a huge number at the time. Even though WrestleMania 32, people, they, they, they claims it was over 100,000, I think it was actually 
closer to the 93,000 that yeah, WrestleMania 3 was. So, so WrestleMania 32 now beats that record, I think. You know wrestling always tries to fudge the numbers mm-hmm. when it comes to crowd sizes. I have this here. Vincent James Man Adley passed away May 24th of 1984. So I almost 11, 10 months before WrestleMania 1. 10 months Because WrestleMania 1 was at the end of March of 85. Yeah. So sadly that's... That's really stuffy. But I think he knew that he was, his health was kind of declining when he got out of it. He knew he was very old and then he'd had some health issues in the last two years of his life and, yeah. and sadly he would pass away with old Vince uh, Senior. Vincent J. McMahon. Yes, Vincent J. McMahon. So, we're going to end on SMA3 because like, the first two were kind of a gamble but this is the first proper big person. I think this establishes WrestleMania as a Big marquee kind yeah, of Yeah, it's like, this is the shit. I think the success of this, as we'll discuss in part two, start of part two, will be, uh, the success will then lead to the other three of the big four inevitably being established because this was so successful. Mm. So, you know, it was always one big preview event and then just TV, like, back in the old days, it used to be, like, a little bit of... T- most of the money was made through live events and everything, like, get a little bit of a taste on TV to encourage you. Please come when the WWF or whatever company comes to your town whenever. Yeah. Please pay money for the tickets. We're, we're going to be here. Yeah. You might want to spend some money. Come and look at us. It'll make change hands. Probably won't, but it might. You never know. It might. You never know. We'll tease you enough to make you think it might happen. Yeah. Anything could happen in the World Wrestling Federation. Anything. I mean... We might have a good show. <laughs> you never know. And Vince with a bit King, of... King Kong Bundy might actually be Hogan. But that's not going to happen. Because <laughs> so, King Kong Bundy, he never wins anything. So Hogan in 1986 had spent most of like his year feeding with Paul Under. Because Paul Under had feeding with him alongside Piper, Miss May uh, 1, then turned face and kind of his buddy. And then... When he tried to get in touch with Hogan to help him out, Hogan hadn't been there for him, so he turned on him again, and then they feuded for a big stadium show, which actually helped fuck over uh, Paul North in the end, because he got a big injury in his arm, Yeah. he put off getting surgery for because he was doing the biggest run of his career, like, I need the money for this, Yeah. and then it'll lead to probably nerve damage in his arm and everything. I've, I've read a lot on Paul Underworth's story, he's a very bitter, but justly bitter man. But it's basically, and then going into WrestleMania 3, you have... Under the Giant Hogan, that's the biggest match. Even though that's the match that helps draw people in. Which yeah. Remember the slam. What well, else was the card on that show? Do you know? The other, the other noteworthy match is obviously the Savage Steamboat Intercontinental Title match. So the case, like, there are people who are arguing, like, is that the match where Savage smacks him in the throat with a ring bell? I think so. Yeah. But, like people are like, oh, like that's the best match in the show. But then there are other people who argue like, yeah, it's the greatest match when you watch the show. But people didn't come for that match. They were surprised well, they when came they to see Andre. They came to see Andre Hogan, but they were surprised when they got there to see that match. Like, uh, uh, Snow has even claimed that he believes uh, Sat Hogan versus Andre is the best match of all time because it drew more money than any other match he came. That, which, that doesn't mean it's the best match. Which led to somebody in the Q and A basically asking him, "Oh, you said that Savage Hogan versus Andre is the best match of all things. Is it draw the most most money? Does that mean you don't think you've ever had a good match because you never drew any money?" <laughs> Did he respond to that? I don't know what his response to that was, but I don't think it would be too favourable. Yeah, so, that's that's along the, way, the same lines of Mustafa Ali going. Can you show us how to get fired? Then I will read you these matches. There are twelve matches in WrestleMania three. Go on, let me hear. We had the Can-Am connection of Tom Zink and Rick Martel. Yeah. Taking on Bob Orton, defeating Bob Orton in the Magnificent Morocco with Mr. Fidry in their corner. Billy Jack Keynes defeat and Hercules uh, ends in a double count out. Uh, 
Hillbilly Jim, Haiti Kid and Little Beaver versus King Kong Monday, Little Tokyo and Little Lord Littlebrook ends in a I DQ. Remember that after match. after I think Little Beaver was supposed to move but ho- but he didn't move, so Bundy landed on him and hurt him. Yeah, Bun Bundy squished him. Holly Race eventually did come to the WF and he lo- he beat the junkyard dog in a match he was King Holly Race then and a match that was loser must bow. Did Junkyard Dog have to bow? I think he bowed, but then he eventually did something that we're like, hey, ha ha. Aha, hook you in the balls. <laughs> the dream team of Greg Valentine and Brutus Beefcake defeated the Rousseau brothers. They were tag champions at one point. I think this is actually, this show was actually credited as the debut of the, uh, the debut of the Barber gimmick for the Because oh. before this, he'd. Yeah, he'd been he'd, in Rhythm and Blues. Well, no, well, no, that would be later, but before oh. this. Adrian Adonis had attacked him at one point and cut some of his hair. So after this match, he eventually left Greg Valentine, came and helped Roddy Piper in his hair v hair match against Adrian Adonis, one, and then helped cut some of his hair, which then led to Beefcake becoming the Brutus barber. the barber. Because originally the name Beefcake became, he was meant to have this male stripper gimmick, which was an idea of Linda McMahon, apparently. Oh. At least the name, at least, was, was, an, was a Linda McMahon idea. A brute eye. Brother Brute Eye. Brother Brute Eye. Which is funny because he, as Brother Brutai, he, he turned on Hulk Hogan briefly in WCW and they missed an opportunity for Hogan not to go at two Brutai. Uh, no, no, no. At two Brutai. Brother Brutai. Why? Yeah, Danny Davis and the Hart Foundation defeats the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana. Butch Reed defeats Coco Beware. Oh, no. <laughs> they had the Ricky Steamboat Randy Savage match. Yes, you said a lot of people believe. A lot of people seem to believe that that is the uh, the greatest intercontinental title match of all time. At least one of them. Yeah, Al, mm-hmm. you cock. Uh, the Honky Tonk Man defeats Jake the Snake Roberts after uh, a, a scene on the uh, the Snake Pit segment where the uh, Honky Tonk Man hit Jake Roberts with a guitar a bit too hard. That legit fucked up, fucked up. He said a little bit, uh-huh. and Jake Roberts was a bit better about that. But Jake Roberts did have Alice Cooper in his I know. I know. Do you know that's one of the first WrestleManias I remember watching as a kid and being totally stoked that Alice Cooper was in his corner? What's funny is Ozzy was actually at WrestleMania the year before. He was in the corner of the British Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah. He didn't know fuck where that's he was. That's when he had his anti-eternal hair. Nobody, I don't think he really knew what else he was. I thought, oh, how do you feel? British Bulldogs, do you have to? Yeah, man. British Bulldogs, forever. <laughs> yeah. Do you think he might have been drunk? Or high, or a combination of the two. Yeah. Awesome. So he was either drunk, or high, or me. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm usually a combination of the two. Not today, though. But Ozzy wouldn't go to WrestleMania. Unless he got a thousand brand M&M's to fill a brandy glass. I'm going to eat this whole sandwich. Yeah. Anyway, Irish Sheik and Nikolai Volkov defeat the Killer Bees by DQ, and then Hogan and Andre, the... They talk about in the Andre 30 for 30 documentary that Andre's back was, was yeah, fucked. Andre was really fucked by this point. Hogan. Hogan. Andre, I think, tried to take the piss out of Hogan by maybe I won't, maybe I'll shoot on you. I'm so big you can't stop me. <laughs> and then Hogan tried to blaze up like, oh, Andre was threatening to shoot on me. Oh, Andre weighed so much by that point, like, shut the fuck up, mate. Yeah. A, Andre was nearly sore, and B, he was probably winding you up. Yeah, big. Baldy cut. But they do say in that bloody documentary that Andre hated Randy Savage because of how much people he had on. Literally, on, on, he may have a match with Oi Randy. Randy Andre sitting there playing card with some guys backstage, and then in comes Randy with baby oil, and he's all going over. Hey, you want to talk about the metal? And he's looking and goes, "No, baby oil, get out." <laughs> 
like goddamn oily fucker, I'm not wrestling you, you oily dick. Mm-hmm. I just, do you know the best Andre story I heard that was on that documentary, which I, I personally think there's a lot of truth to, even though there's a couple of dates skewed on it, mm-hmm. but the self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. Uh-huh. I love it when Bobby Heenan's talking about the interaction between Andre and the Ultimate Chump, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But like, like... Andre didn't like people fucking about in matches. Mm-hmm. And he, like, uh, Bobby Heenan had told Jim Hellwig, he's like, look, you do this, don't fucking, don't go mental on him, because Andre will deal with you. Mm-hmm. Jim Hellwig being a prick he was. First night they had a match, he bounced off the road, came running at Andre and fucking leveled him with a clothesline. Andre went, <clears throat> second night, Played a match. He ran at Andre like a mad bastard, clotheslined him, and Andre went. Third night, we had a match. He went running at Andre like a mad fiend as he did, and Andre just went poof. Mm-hmm. And then he went and turned around to Bobby Heenan and went, You'll learn. He didn't fucking hear the warrior. Warrior apparently dropped him wrong when no, he was Chris Lammer and fucked up Andre's neck. That's fucked uh, up a. Uh, well, he told people that my neck's bad, be careful. He went, I mean, he had that freak out with Brian Pillman. I could tell him, like, he didn't know he was going to do it. He grabbed him behind and literally on air, on live TV, but he didn't accidentally went, What the fuck are you doing? I washed my fucking neck. Aye. And he apparently he, he threw his head today. He went to start him off, someone calmed him down, and he eventually came back to commentary. But, like, he was like, I'm fucking furious about that. Like, I'm not happy with that crap. <laughs> There's a fucking proof this. Nah, <laughs> Warrior get dealt with by Andre, because like I say, that's the best part of that when he too, like the third night he went around to Andre and Andre just went poof. Knocked him on his arm and he'll learn. He'll learn not to fuck. <laughs> yeah, so... Oh, Vince was a bit ruthless with his status. He wanted... He had the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in uh, Michigan, it was, it was. And like, it was near like a... No- Near like a sky suburb of Michigan, so you wanted to fill as it's a bigger venue, so you want to fill as much as possible, want to get that biggest number as possible. So he uh, he st- basically starts blocking a lot of close circuit TV outlets from making from allowing to show the TV yeah, yeah. And, and and like a certain mile radius of the of the venue. So in case of like oh, it's close circuit, your close circuit providers won't won't show the show. Guess you'll have to buy a ticket then. Yeah. You know, if you want to see the show, you're going to have to come live. See, we WrestleMania 3 live. Also, famously, that show, they had that performance from Marisa Franklin as well. Singing, yeah, like, American yeah, Beautiful or wherever it was. I'm glad, I'm glad they don't do that at WrestleMania anymore, because you know why? Hmm. No one cares. I like, oh, there's a big... We have fans from all over this big international show for WrestleMania. Like, everyone got to sing a song about how great America is. Like, most of your audience don't care. There's some people in the crowd from America who probably don't give a fuck. Yeah. The only time anyone ever cared about the national anthem is when DX done it. <laughs> they cared then. Yeah. I I remember fondly watching that Mania fourteen and hearing the booze. I mean, I mean, supposedly the DX band would go on to claim like the like guy's Chris Warren, I believe, and was Chris like, Warren, I seen like, oh no, we we purposefully we to him too. We purposefully did it badly because we wanted to be booed later on when we played the heel DX there later on. Some I people, just remember the end, like, America! Some people are, some people claim that they're lying about that, they're just trying to cover their asses for a shit rendition, but you know. Pish. 
I'm saying what they were doing. I'm just saying. No, I'm not saying to you. I'm saying to the people that are saying that. Pesh, they knew very well what they were doing. Jim Johnston was playing on guitar during that night as well. Yeah. Yeah, in the DX5, he was on. He was on guitar. So he was. I never caught that. He was. Well, he's a very, very indistinct man. He's he very much blends into the old Jim Johnston. Do you know if if Triple H mm-hmm. wants to make the fans happy as fuck about people he could bring back? Bring back Jim Johnston. Mm-hmm. So Vince had seen a scale on WrestleMania two years earlier, and he he pays it off two years later with uh, WrestleMania three. Hogan slammed Andre. The moment we played all the time. Yeah, and the the first. Time he'd ever slammed Andre yeah. the Giant. Yeah, maybe the third time. Wasn't the first time he slammed Andre. It wasn't even the first time Andre had ever been slammed. No, it had been done. But like, 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 there wasn't as much eyes on it, so people would believe anything we tell them. Didn't fucking, didn't Big John Studd slam him? I, I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah. At some point. But there aren't enough eyes on it, so yeah. we have a big worldwide audience, so they'll believe everything we tell them to. Because they, no Stuff. one can see it. Then so 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 and so slam Andre. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Damn it! I'm this man. I say it the first time. Damn it! It's WrestleMania. Yes, three. WrestleMania. So yeah, WrestleMania three big success for coming, which then lead to as we'll talk about in the start part two, the expansion of the WWE pay per view calendar. Yeah. More pay per views being added. Is this when we got into the territory of the big four? Yes, of Survivor Series. Rumble, first Rumble wasn't a real, wasn't actually a pay-per-view as a, as a TV special, but then we have Survivor Series, which is a SummerSlam a pay-per-view, and then by 89 we have Rumble as a pay-per-view, so by 89 we have the big four. Yeah. Which expand to five in 93 when King of the Ring gets included. Very true. That's another pay-per-view that rumour rumor goes that Triple H is wanting to bring back as a premier pay-per-view. Yeah. He's, he, I supposedly against like, a lot of gimmick pay-per-views, like wanting to put Money in the Bank back on WrestleMania and then but one of the few gimmick pay-per-views he wants to, wants to have is, like, King of the Ring, because yeah. it, it's on weight to Well, that was, that was the scene of his redemption. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people also are annoyed that, like, they did that all-women's pay-per-view, but then didn't do another one, and then there's some women wrestlers in WWE who are like, well, I feel conf- more confident that we that they're, uh, they're going to do another all-women's pay-per-view if Triple H has to say about because Triple H was behind the four horsewomen and everything. Yeah. I think if Triple H wants to do a thing, like, do Queen of the Ring as well, don't do it the same night as King of the Ring, do like Evolution 2 and do like Queen of the Ring there or at least do the semis and finals of Queen of the Ring on that show. It's yeah. kind of a thing to, so that Evolution 2 can have its like own attraction. That would there. be cool. Yeah, do, diversify your pay-per-view offerings basically, that's what I'm saying. Or premium live events. Simplify, yeah. man. Simplify. But yeah, that's, uh, I think we've been talking so long about so many different things about Vince Manning and other wrestling stuff that took us into yeah. our Rumble we, podcast, so we We went on a tangent, but you know us by now, if you don't, <laughs> well now you do, so. <laughs> yeah. Hi. So, so we're good, I think it's good that we can talk about the extra pay-per-view offerings at the start of part two, mainly because that's the most positive probably part two is ever going to be, because there's going to be a lot of scandals talked about in part two. <laughs> Paul is so shocked about that. He nearly took. <coughs> well, we talk about nails and John Nord. Talk about John Nord. There's a scandal involving a female referee. The Rockers lawsuit with a rocker dropper. The steroid scandal. There's all yeah, sorts of lawsuits. All sorts of lawsuits and intrigue and subterfuge and all this madness Hogan, and negativity. You have WF using a real life war to promote WrestleMania 7. Oh, yeah, Gulf War. Yeah, and then Hogan maybe leaving and maybe not. 
The W. We can talk about the WBF. Oh, the World Bodybuilding Federation. Yes. Federation. 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 <laughs> Might as well be called a federation with a fuck up, nonetheless. World Bodybuilding's Federation. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Look, what did they get out of it? Hey, they got Lex Luger, who we didn't use properly. We got Lex Luger, which is more of a not not really a prize or anything. Well, it's a prize if we'd have fucking used him, right? If yeah. we'd have kept him as the narcissist. You mean, but, nar- you mean narcissist? But no, we had to make him the American hero because Vince needed another Hogan. I think we'll, we'll talk about a lot about the stereo trail in the part two. And, you know, like I said, how it's in history of like, the WF as well as, Vince, as well as Vince. Because I think a lot of the you know, fallout of the stereo trail does influence what would become the new WWF generation. Yeah, but I'll, t- I'll tell you something else. Mm-hmm. If Vince had still been in power now, <laughs> I kid you not, I believe Theory would have been this generation's Lex Luger. It's not a bad comparison, I don't think. Because he wanted Theory to be the new Cena. It, it was obvious even to me that he wanted him to be the new Cena. You know, build him up as a cunt and then make him this big hero boy, yeah. I think, legit, I don't know if it's the plan anymore. But I think at one point under Vince it was planned for Wrestle... It was going to be SummerSlam this year, and then it got pushed to WrestleMania Theory versus Cena. But Theory's even said in interviews, my, one of my dream opponents is John Cena. Yeah, I mean, I get it. And, you know, see from what I've read, like, like things Theory said and whatnot, yeah. he seems like a legit guy, yeah. you know? And it's nice to see him actually getting some proper character development. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in Vince's later years he was really up on the idea of character development. Yeah. You know? I mean, what have we got since Vince fucked off? Mm-hmm. We've got Fury turning into a cycle. We've got Nicky Ash reverting to Nicky Cross and being a cycle. You know? Mm-hmm. We've got the Judgment Day looking strong. Mm-hmm. That's another bloody thing. We've got factions again. Aye. Proper, the only thing I'm waiting on personally, <laughs> I want the hot business back. Yeah, I think well, I said he wants the hot business I back. I want the hot business back, and I heard rumour that people were saying, well, get the hot business back. I'll, I'll maybe I don't want to steal the hot business. I'll maybe show you after we think of going, but there was a promo, I don't know if it was a dot com exclusive or not, but Sean Management cut this promo on uh, Austin Theory recently, which made you think, like, realise. Fucking hell, I forgot how good Shelton Benjamin can oh, be. Shelton's cool as I love. I remember being a kid, watching, uh, growing watching up... Watching the gold stand go, No, growing up watching Ruthless Aggression. Taping it on Sky Sports, Taboo Tuesday 04. Shelton Benjamin wins the IC title for the first time against Chris Jericho. Nice. Which then Jericho would admit later on, like, I legit didn't know who my opponent was going to be. And, like, they had finished his, Vince had finished his planned out forever. So, literally, as Shelton Benjamin yeah. comes to the ring, Mike Kewer gets the word in here, leans to Jericho and goes, Shelton's going over. Even Benjamin didn't know. So basically, Jericho leaned down, like, you're going over, watch your finish. Oh, it's a T-bone suplex. Okay, let me in the corner, I'll bounce back, hit me with your finish. They had to call it in the fucking ring. Yeah. So is that how short the match was? Well, no, it wasn't short, but like later on in the match. Oh, right, right. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just giving you the impression. Yeah. So like, literally, as Seattle Men's Grand, like, I watched the, watched the clip of the back, you can see Mike, you're leaning in Jericho, that's when he's telling them. He's going over, by like, the way. He's, he's beating you, by the way. Which I always thought that, because Batista was in that lineup, and I remember Evolution still being a big thing, even though Orton had been kicked out. I thought. Yeah, yeah. So I remember being a kid, like, oh, it's obviously going to be Batista who's going to win. But it wasn't. He would, I, do you know, Batista's one of the guys I could never envision as an IC champion. Yeah. He was either going to be a tag champ or a main champ. Yeah. 
He would be a tag champ briefly a couple of times. Yeah, wasn't yeah. he a tag champ with Rick? With Rick, with Ray, uh, randomly with Cena while it was that classic. Oh, these two were feuding. Are they tag champs? How will they possibly get along? Oh. Yeah, that's a trope I don't like, and hopefully we won't see under Vince. But see, we got we. I know a lot of people may not like. Why are you talking about modern problems? You're talking about what? We'll be talking about Vince and a rich bit on him. Well, we're talking about how the modern product is is now now that Vince is now no longer here, which we thought would never happen. You can't talk about the modern product without talking about Vince, of course, because we would not have. And many people might want to talk about Vince McMahon's negatives. Which there are, which quite there a few. are a lot of. But you know what? We would not be in the position with modern wrestling we are now had it not been for Vince McMahon's vision. And I'm talking like, you know, WWE, A-Dub, Impact, uh-huh. Triple. You would not be in the position you are now without Vince McMahon's vision for global expansion. I think uh, the best way I can sum up the end of this, like by the end of this, I don't know where we're going to be by the end of this retrospective. But like we're not, I know he's done a lot of horrible things. We're not trying to glorify the guy, but we're not mm. also trying to. Sh- we're also not going to shit completely on him when he's done when there's stuff in his life where that's good. We're going to comment on it, but, yeah. but we're also going to call it the shit, the bad shit that he did. Yeah, well, so, be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you know, you know, get to the good with the bad because you know there are many people who are influential and like pioneers in different things. Who then we learn are. Sh- were horrible or pricks or pricks in some <laughs> aspects and did horrible things in their life but it doesn't mean what they contributed to the industry that they were in is any less significant, significant yeah, yeah. You know, I think where would we really be without Vince because one opinion I've heard about we Vince did business in the 80s and taking out the territories while ruthless and kind of blocked. some people did lose their livelihood and some did lose their which is shitty but it was the idea I think Vince had the idea of somebody's eventually going to go now so someone's eventually going to do this might ah, as well, might be, well me. be me. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I thought it first, so it's I'm doing it. And I think the thing is, in business, a lot of people who are heavily involved in business is like, if you want to make decisions that will help benefit your business, you're going to have to piss off certain people and make enemies. <laughs> and people, and Vincent Mann made a fair share of enemies, but also was very successful in business. Well, it came to wrestling, it came to bodybuilding. He fucked that up. And, and football. Gonna, and we're going to talk about that later on the Rich Red. XFL! But, well... I think that's a bit it. Part two, we're going to wait to the new year because I thought the first part, the other part, we're talking about was dark. When we get to the steroid channel, fuck me, I'm going to have a hard time with that one. Oh, yes. But that'll be us for now. We're going to try and focus on positive things going into December and Christmas. We're going to have some positive things. You have a new shirt. We both bought cider today. We're going to talk You're about. You're wearing a cool venom shirt. I am. Thank you. You have a you have a snazzy coat. I do have a snazzy coat. That's helping my cold though because it's keeping me fuzzy and warm. We, we're going to be talking about Impact in the next episode and then going into December we have some wrestling and some Fraser like content which will be fun and festive for December yeah, we're, get, we're getting into the in my mind the dreaded season 7 Ooh. Ooh. god <laughs> so we're going to keep positive for December come back in January and then go back to Vince McMahon <laughs> so uh, until then <laughs> thank you again this is technically part of our 5 year celebration thank you for following along with us if you've been here if you've been here from the start, if you're just with us, we love you all. It's awesome to have you listening to us. No matter when you joined, we, we're thankful that somebody's at least listening. Because you know, we put a lot of effort into the research for this show and the we do. editing the show. It's, it's a lot of stuff. So we, we thank you for, for following along with us and bearing with our, our insane tangents and rambles. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we really do. And I think, I don't know when it happened, but I want to play this out to end the show. 
Vince McMahon singing Stand Back at the Slammy Awards. I think it was in the <laughs> I can't think Stand of Stand Back! Uh, there's a McMahon coming through! You know, apparently there's a version of Sexy Boy sung by Vince McMahon. I've heard it. I haven't heard, never heard I've it. I've heard it! <laughs> but play it, we'll play it with Stand Back. They end you on a lighthearted note. You can laugh at Vince McMahon, a big gravelly voice. Look at me, I'm Vince McMahon. <laughs> but thank you for following along. Stay tuned for part two in the year and our, future, our rest of our con- fun content. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at and Facebook.com for slash Roundboy. Follow Rogue Pains, which are also on Rogue underscore Pains. Our virtual smiley, we're going to try and do most of the build to SummerSlam 2003 in December. So hopefully we can come back in the new year and give you SummerSlam 2003 with the first TLC match. Oh my. Oh my. <laughs> Until then, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.